there, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. Got a very special episode for you because this will serve as the final episode, not only of the year, but also of, of 2019, but of this weird decade that doesn't have a name. Uh, the 2010s, whatever. Um, so this is either going to be the most fascinating episode we've ever done or the most boring. <laughs> but it will be informative. Um, what I hope to do here, as we always do, we always do, you know, a a yearly, uh, you know, year in review, um, you know, episode, which is kind of fun to kind of recount all this stuff from the year. Uh, but we would be remiss if we didn't also include a recap of the decade. And seeing as how that this show started in 2015, we haven't had the opportunity to ever do an episode like this before. So I'm very, very excited to be able to do that. It's going to be a bit long, uh, but fun. We're going to play a lot of music. We're going to do a lot of great stuff. And I also wanted to be clear that it's also it's going to be like a people's history. Like, I mean, anybody can go on Wikipedia or or go on the news or even, I mean, I enjoy those kind of CNN or National Geographic produced like, uh, you know, the 2000s or the 90s or the 80s. And I, I love that stuff. Uh, but this isn't going to be, you know, the history of the United States and, you know, this person, this country bombed this country in 2011 and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's going to be more of like my history um, and stuff that you guys can enjoy um, along the way and, and share with us. Uh, I want you to use the hashtag uh, 2019 in review. Uh, we also have 2009 or, or TK 2019. That's for TK is for Tricky Kid. So either one of those will work on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, and what we're going to get into, we're going to get into the new things that are in our lives. That's kind of the main thing. I've had a really, really, really big year this year. I had a big year last year. Um, and going to have a really, really big start to the new year and uh, into the new decade, which we'll get into in a second. It's, a, it's insane to think that uh, it's about to be the 20s again. Um, uh, so it's 100 years. When you think about the roaring 20s and all that, that was, uh, it's weird to think that was be 100 years ago. But uh, what we're going to get into is, again, the new things in our lives, uh, you know, that did not exist prior to 2010. Uh, so I thought what we would do is we'll get into, we're going to do the whole year of 2019. Again, we're going to play some music, talk about this year, and then we're going to go backwards. Uh, we're going to start with how the decade began uh, for me. Uh, but, you know, I mean, like, like I said, things that, words that we didn't use, like Uber and drones and, you know, and Alexa and Google and... Uh, and so, you know, that's kind of the idea, you know, it's kind of like, you know, what, what entered our lives, not only this year, but this decade. Um, and unfortunately, also same things we, you know, things that we lost, people that we lost, things that are no longer part of our lives or people who are no longer part of our lives. So we're going to try to do a very ambitious thing. We're going to tell a lot of stories and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. So we hope you had a great, great year this year. We hope this has been your decade, We've, you know, and and been a great year for you. And then if not, hey man, we're about to enter a, a very, very new, exciting time, a new year, a new decade. Uh, and I hope you're excited about it. We're excited about it. We have a lot to look forward to. And uh, we're gonna get into all that at the end of the program. Uh, but for now, let me tell you how this decade started for me. 
you know, I fell in love a lot this decade. You know, I really feel like that prior to 2010, I think I might have only really have maybe have fallen in love once. Uh, and that's no disrespect to any uh, people who I have truly loved or, uh, or thought that I was in love, whatever. This isn't a, a meaning to discredit that, but not just um, with people. I fell in love with a lot of things. Uh, a lot. I just felt I. This has really been the most, uh, God, powerful, important, prolific, um, transformative, uh, a million other adjectives I could give you um, for. Um, this decade. Now, keep in mind, I entered the decade at age 36. I exited the decade at age 45. So where most people think that things are going to happen the most for them, maybe I'm a late bloomer, uh, is from the, you know, the ages of like 21 to 30. And maybe in some respects it should, it should have or whatever, but things tend to kind of work themselves out. And uh, I have no regrets about how uh, these things in my life uh, panned out. Like I said, just and I really have left or are exiting this decade on a rocket ship, man. I just we um, we had our first child uh, last year in 2018. We got married uh, this year in 2019, uh, and got some big news. We're gonna save for the end of the episode uh, how we're gonna kick off this new year and, and decade uh, properly. But I just want to give you that as a roadmap. You know, again, I entered 2010 at age 36. Um, and a lot of people think, man, golly, like that's a little bit late. It's a little bit later. But telling you, this should be also kind of an inspiring thing that it's never too late to do the things that you want to do. Because I have done things that I really wanted to do in my 20s. Uh, and for the most part of my 30s that really didn't even begin for me um, until my 40s. And here I am like halfway through my 40s and a lot of things are just now starting for me in the last uh, you know year or so. I'm living with so many of my, my dreams have come true just in the last couple of years. And that's what I mean. I, I've fallen in love a lot this year. Uh, I mean, uh, this decade. And uh, But let me tell you how it started. <laughs> Uh, it didn't go so well. Uh, let me let me let me place you. And I probably have told this story before. I certainly have written it down in print on our website at tricky-kid.com. Uh, and again, this is no slight on anybody, but I'm just going to let it rip here for a second. Okay. So, all right. Put yourself in my shoes here. I'm going to put you there. I'm going to put you there on New Year's Eve. 2009 going into 2010, where uh, I held what a lot of people might consider to be in an enviable, uh, inviable, whatever position. And it's always counter to the reality, isn't it? Like if if I told you what I was doing on New Year's Eve, where I was and what I was doing, you'd be like, holy shit, man, that is the greatest shit I've ever heard. Uh, and it, you'd be totally jealous, and you think that this is the most exciting thing in the world, and what a great life I'm living. But let me tell you, 2009, how I ended the previous decade. Again, I don't even really know what to call that decade. I, I, there's a word that people use that I can't even get my mouth to say it because it gives me douche chills. So I'll try to spell it. I think it's A-U-G-H-T-S. However you pronounce that, or the O's, whatever. And I had this whole other theory. I don't want to get sidetracked. I have this whole other theory is that, you know, when people say that when you get older, how the time goes by much quicker. And I definitely agree with that and how things kind of tend to blend together. Um, our listeners of the show and, and of my friends, fans of my alter ego, DJ Tricky Kid, know that I make these um, mixtapes. 
because uh, I can tell you right now what 1985 smelt like, what it felt like, its own color, its own taste. And I can do that for almost every year from like 1980 till about 99, uh, especially in the 80s when you can really put importance on that, on that kind of thing. But uh, you know, but as you get older, it's kind of like whenever you inherit your parents' record collection, for some reason it always kind of stops. <coughs> Excuse me. It always kind of stops when you look at the timeline. Like, okay, these records span about a nine-year period, and it's usually between the ages of like 15 and like 25. It's like, why do they stop buying records or buying music at all? Well, because their life took a different direction. They couldn't put that much importance on it. So those things tend to happen, but I also am able to, uh, you know, file certain things into certain years, and and it's because you can say 1995, or you can say the 80s or the 90s, but what the fuck do we call the 2000s? Uh, so much so, and I'm somebody who was very acutely uh, tuned into this, but so much so that it wasn't until 2012 that I realized that we had entered a new decade, and that's unthinkable for a guy like me. You know, I put so much importance on New Year's Eve and not to get part, not partying and all that kind of stuff. You know, I do my best to try to do that. But just, you know, as a reflective time, like all of these things took place in this unit of time. And it has its own delineated, again, you know, it's a very OCD thing, I guess you could call it. So it's it's insane to think that, uh, you know, that almost two or three years had gone by and I was like, wait a minute, we're, we're in a new decade. What are we, what are we calling this one? So... Uh, so anyway, so again, so that's why I wanted to tell you, this is how I left that other decade and, and entered this one that we're about to exit as well. I'm in New Jersey. Again, I, I, you said, I thought you said it was going to be an enviable <laughs> position, but the, bear with me here. So I'm on tour with the band Clutch. Uh, fans of our listeners of the show know that I have a long tenured history with them and I've known them literally since the beginning of their career way back in 93 when we first met uh, and I've gone on to uh, interview them uh, tour with them profile them all kinds of great stuff and so they had a side project called never got caught and uh, a couple of the guys from the band were, uh, and it's mainly uh, Never Got Caught was led by these two great brothers, great guys, Brian and uh, uh, and his brother um, uh, Hinkley. I always he always called him Hinks, and he's a drummer. And so Brian and Billy, you know, the, the two Bs, uh, Brian and Billy, brothers Hinkley, uh, had this great band called Never Got Caught, and they were looking for management. And uh, through a series of events, I landed the gig, and uh, and we were doing a tour. Uh, the only thing is that uh, I have nothing but nothing but endless respect for both of those gentlemen as people and as musicians uh, and stand-up people. But we uh, do not have the same personality. We actually have zero business uh, working together and absolutely... A <laughs> An absurd uh, uh, um, for us to ever be traveling together in tight quarters for you know days and weeks on end, because all that's going to happen is is we're just going to want to fucking kill each other, and that's uh, where we were <clears throat> in 2009. And you know I am in a much different position. I probably could be a much better manager to them now, ten years later than what I was. I was just kind of getting my footing. I'd had some success 
uh, with Claude Coleman Jr. from Ween and, and a few of his his projects and had worked with Peaches and stuff. But uh, but in terms of getting, you know, structure and, and, and forming and having, you know, capital to invest and, and the connections and all that to, to you know, um, yeah, it was a very, uh, you know, fly-by-night outfit. So, and I never made any sort of... Um, Anyway, so you you, know, you get the idea uh, of where we are and all that. So it's like, okay, so it's New Year's Eve. I'm on tour with Clutch. Uh, they are an amazing band. One of my favorites, great friends, and uh, a long history with them. And so anyway, so it's obviously it's, it's December 31st. It's cold, cold, cold. And we're playing in one of the world's biggest shithole venues ever, the Starlin Ballroom. It sounds like a great place. It's actually this little shithole in the sticks out in Sayreville, nowhere, New Jersey, and um, and one of those you know how like when you go see a see a, a club or go to a club and see a band, and you want to see the band, but then the venue has booked like seven fucking openers that they've made all sell their own tickets, and so by the time the band you want to see goes on, it's like twelve thirty at night. This is one of those venues. So much so that there was already, it's already a stacked lineup. I think it was already like three or four openers. And then now there's like, I think on that night, they even added two more. Anyway, it was just an awful, awful night. I froze my ass off. I was fighting with those guys all night long. Something kind of funny happened um, with uh, Oscar, our old buddy Oscar. He's their tour manager. He had pulled me into a side room and had had this uh, this 500 tequila. This is a $500 bottle of tequila. And my man is Hispanic. He knows his tequila real well. And I'm not a tequila drinker at all. And he, you know, to kind of, he's been busting my balls all tour. He's been busting my balls for 20 years. But anyway, he's a great guy. And I, and I love him dearly. And he says, he pours me a shot. And he says, all right, Roy. He goes, don't shoot this. This is the good stuff. You sip this. And I don't know why. I still don't understand why. But I don't know why. But I just proceeded to shoot it. And he looked at me and he said, Roy, what part of don't shoot this didn't you understand? We had a great night. Uh, their manager, Jack Flanagan, uh, who uh, you know just lived not you know not that far up in, up in Long Island, had come out to the show. And you know we lost uh, Jack this year. And I plan on doing an entire episode to, uh, uh, to to celebrate him and his life and the music that he made and the people that he touched. And um, he and I have had a long friendship dating all the way back, even like, like largely my friendship with Clutch uh, is rooted in my friendship with Jack that began way back in 1993. Uh, a giant of a man, uh, a hero of a man, just he could just do anything. And I, I loved him and, and I looked up to him. And he was always so kind to me. And, uh, well, not always so kind, but <laughs> but that's just Jack had his way. But anyway, um, I wanted to say rest in peace to Jack Flanagan. And you can look for a, uh, a full episode that we're going to be having uh, with a couple of the guys in Clutch and, and a, lot, a lot of people that, uh, that he touched and met uh, along the way. So anyway, so... Uh, you know, we, we finished the show, Clutch does their thing, whatever. We're going back and we're staying in this really shithole, uh, um, hotel, uh, that's out in the sticks out there. And again, we're just not getting along and, you know, nobody books a gig on New Year's Day because everybody stays home. But I, I had the genius idea 
to book uh, a New Year's Day gig because we had to drive all the way back to Boston, where they're from anyway, along the way with some friends of mine um, in a band called Kilsey. And, um, and so anyway, so they had this sound guy, whatever friend of theirs was a real fucking asshole, not Kilsey, but never got caught. And he thought he was one of these tough guys from, from Boston. And, and he just didn't, I don't know, whatever reason he didn't like me. And, and, and he was trying to be all bullied to me and shit. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, I should have, I should have fucking punched this guy and uh, and I don't know why I didn't, and and I, I really feel like that one of those it's one of those you know things that affects your pride. I look back on it, and I didn't cower to him, but I, I I just wanted this this to work out with them, and all too often that happens to me where I'll look back and go, you know, man, you were you took the high road, which is always probably the best. But in this case, it still kind of bugs me to this day. So I don't even remember that fucker's name. But if you're listening, fuck you. Uh, and, you know, that shit was so unnecessary. And he hated it that, you know, uh, that you know they were working with me. And for whatever reason, they were trusting me or listening to me and not him. I don't know. There was just this weird, very uncomfortable uh, competition there that I was trying to, I was having to overcome. And any, you know, thing that didn't go right, he would just try to just seize on that and illuminate that, which ultimately ended our working relationship. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm really not that bitter. I, I, you know, I, a few years later, they did a tree reunion and I, and I drove to Boston to, to, to see it. And I saw that guy and we got along great. So, I mean, I'm really not, not angry. I just, when I think about that, it's just it's just so funny. It's like, yeah, this whole episode is going to be about me telling people to fuck off that I didn't tell to fuck off when I should have. That's what this whole episode's about. Is is I'm taking this cowardly route of uh, of behind the comfort of my uh, computer here. I'm now doling out all the middle fingers that uh, uh, that were probably just a few years too late. But <laughs> anyway, so that's how. This weird no-name decade began, uh, and then when we, when we got back, when I got back to New York, because I was living in New York at the time, whatever. Uh, but then uh, things started to get uh, better uh, almost immediately. Um, I had a great 2010, and I'll tell you something. I, I mentioned earlier how I fell in love with a lot of things um, this this decade. Um, but now, I, I, since I, I did some negativity, I want to tell you some positivity. Um, is that summer of 2010 will forever uh, reign, su- reign supreme for me as some things that completely and totally changed my life. Things that you may seem small uh, on, on just by mentioning it, but... Uh, the whole point is like, what happened this decade that I still do? Like, what band did I first hear this decade that I still now listen to? Or words that I use, TV shows that I adore, things like that. So that's kind of what I wanted to get into. Uh, and I'll tell you this. So that summer, man, um, number one, uh, June uh, of 2010, introduced a TV show called Pretty Little Liars that became my obsession. Forgive me, but I've always had, I have to have some sort of teen melodrama 
to get me through uh, <laughs> tours and whatever. But it all started way back in like 98. Um, me and my little sister started watching a show called Dawson's Creek uh, just to have something to watch with her. Uh, she was like 13 and... You know, and I'm like 25, and I just kind of wanted to have something to relate to her we could just kind of do together. But I ended up really loving the show and was sad when it ended. Then I picked up on, uh, what is it, uh, The O.C., uh, and then the, the makers of The O.C. Uh, had a great sh uh, show called Gossip Girl. And you're going to see where this is all going to come full circle here in a second. Called Gossip Girl, and I've watched every episode of The O.C., and then every episode of Gossip Girl and, and was sad when those ended. So now I needed something new. Now, Pretty Little Liars, I'll admit, didn't quite deliver the way that those three shows did, but it, it had its own thing. And the stars are great. Lucy Hale, uh, who I've met many times, and Shay Mitchell, uh, Ashley Benson, and uh, Troy and Bazzario. I'm sorry if I'm, if I'm butchering their names, but uh, great cast, great, great, great show. And later that summer, uh, speaking of Gossip Girl, something that really uh, introduced something uh, into my life that became uh, something very special to me, completely unexpected, uh, is one of the actresses from uh, Gossip Girl that had, had, had ended uh, was one of the youngest cast members, a girl named Taylor Momsen, who you might remember, she probably would hate it that I mentioned this, but she, of course, is Cindy Lou Who from the live-action remake of How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey. Well, she's all grown up. Oh, in 2010, she was still pretty young. Um, like, I think like she was still a teenager, like 16, 17. And she started a band called The Pretty Reckless. And just on a lark... I happened to be at the House of Blues in Dallas working with another band downstairs in the main room when somebody had told me this, like, hey, you, you ever seen Gossip Girl? I was like, oh, my God, yes, I love that show. And they're like, well, one of the girls from that show has got her own band, and they're playing in the, the smaller room upstairs, And but they didn't know which one it was. So I ran up there to check it out, and there's Taylor Momsen, and I didn't recognize her because she's not the little Jay character from the show a few years before. Uh, prior, she's looks like a total rock chick, man. She's got on the leopard print, um, you know, spandex or whatever, and like a torn Iron Maiden shirt, and they're doing like Soundgarden covers and just kicking ass. And uh, anyway, and they came out with their debut record called "Light Me Up" uh, that year, and that remains one of my favorite records, not just of that, that year or of the decade, but ever. And one thing we're going to be getting into is also is kind of like, what were the top, you know, because we, we talked about the top records of 2019, and we I encourage you to go onto our website to check it out at trickykid.com. We do it every single year. It's so much fun, and we're not arrogant to say that these are the best records of the year. These are just the ones that we enjoy. You know, I didn't hear every record that came out this year. I don't have time for that. But I, I do keep my ear to the ground, and this is what we ma managed to, to hear and what we thought was the best of what we heard. So just a very fair way. And uh, so I thought it might be kind of cool to talk about, um, you know, how about and to collect the top records of the decade. And, and Pretty Little uh, pretty little Liars, uh, <laughs> the Pretty Reckless's Light Me Up uh, would definitely make that list. And so I'm going to start here. We're going to take a quick break, and I'm going to play you a track from that. This is a song called Going Down. It is one of the most 
vicious. The lyrics alone, you can't believe that this came from a 16-year-old girl. Um, uh, just you have to listen to a taxi to believe it. But man, it is a it's it, it is a gut punch and it kicks ass. And I'm gonna come back and tell you some great stuff uh, that happened uh, to kick off the decade that we're covering. And we'll be right back right after this.
Hey guys, this is Sunny Suicide, and you're listening to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. Thank you so much for listening. That was the Pretty Reckless with a song called Going Down from their debut, Light Me Up, that came out in 2010 to start off the, uh, the decade. And I mentioned earlier how there's some great things to look forward to coming into the new year, the new, new decade, and what that's going to be is they have a record coming out uh, in 2020 called Death by Rock and Roll, uh, which sounds like a great title. Um, but, you know, uh, they also could have some ominous tones to it. They actually were on tour with Soundgarden. Uh, Chris Cornell was Taylor's all-time idol, and she was living her dream of touring with her hero when we all know what happened with, with Chris and all that. And and that's kind of why they also they kind of disappeared for a few years, talking about the pretty reckless. But they're coming back in 2020 uh, with Death by Rock and Roll, and definitely looking forward to uh, to checking that out and uh, and seeing what, what comes up for them. So uh, again, I mentioned about uh, uh, you know love and, and 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 discovering a lot of different things. And and man, I'll tell you something uh, unbelievable that happened to me. First of all, the Texas Rangers baseball club uh, at the halfway mark at the All-Star break uh, were in first place and on their way to uh, clinching their division that summer. And again, I'm still in New York, though, and uh, the unthinkable thing, had, uh, something unthinkable had happened just the previous year that uh, the one of the one bands you thought was never going to get back together, uh, the band being Faith No More. And keep in mind, this show didn't start until 2015, so a lot of these stories I've told in print, but I never got to vocalize. And uh, anyway, uh, so I actually happened to be in London again uh, with Clutch, actually, um, uh, that year. And I happened to, uh, it was a day that, that Faith No More unthinkably got back together. That was the one band you thought was never going to... Those guys hated each other. It was never going to happen. It had been 11 long years. And uh, for whatever reason, they, they made it happen. And, you know, they had a, a very famous concert from the Brixton Academy called You Fat Bastards way back in the day. So very fittingly, their first show back was at the, the Brixton Academy there in London. And I just happened to be, you know, in London that week and, and went to the show. It was... Uh, unbelievable and so I was hoping it was going to expand to more and it did and so uh, they only did like about five shows in 2010 uh, they did like Coachella and I was there for that and <clears throat> and of course some shows in her hometown of San Francisco but finally they came and did a, did a, a pair of shows in Brooklyn and something happened uh, during that that also really changed the course of my life at least for a while uh, was one of those great things that y you can't plan on. It's like a Hallmark, um, you know, kind of plotted deal there. It was like, I I'm not, not sure if I've ever believed in, you know, love at first sight. And we met on a train and kind of like a Richard Linklater, um, what's that, what's that, uh, Before Sunrise with uh, with Ethan Hawke and Jilly Delpy and all that, where... You know, where he meets this gorgeous European girl and, and you know, and she kind of, you know, gives him, kind of puts him in his place in all the right times. And, and but she's, you know, hopelessly attracted to him and they have this great, uh, you know, connection that they try to prolong, even though they're from different worlds and different cultures and living on the other side of the world. So something like that happened to me um, is I was, again, on my way to see Faith No More uh, and this was the, I think this was the second, I think this, I think this might've been the second show 
was it the second show? No, I know, I know, I know. It had have been the it had have been the first show. No, I don't know. I can't remember. Anyway, but what the deal was was that the if you know the subway, the metro back then, there is a line, a train called the JMZ that you didn't, you never went on. In fact, it's probably been my only time to be on it. The show was happening at the uh, Williamsburg waterfront. It was a great view of you know of the sky, the skyline of New York, right there on the waterfront. And but whatever, and I was uh, you know, uh, gosh, where was I? I guess I was living in. I can't remember. I, I moved around so much up there. But anyway, I was taking the train in through um, Brooklyn, and I couldn't take the L train through to the Bedford stop and just walk over like like you would have. I, I wound up in some crazy stop. Anyway, so they diverted you, and then you had to get off of it, and you had to go downstairs and catch a bus, like two or three different buses just to get there. And, you know, regardless, sometimes when that happens, sometimes you'll find a buddy. You know, you'll, whenever you're in peril or you're in a, a you know, wayward tourist type kind of way, you'll find somebody that ha- that's willing to share their map and you guys kind of bond and it becomes clandestine, uh, if not wholly platonic. Uh, and then when the adventure ends, then that's where that connection ends. And that's not what happened here. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I get off the, uh, the subway. And again, this girl gets off the subway right behind me, and I, I, I can't tell you other than when I met my wife uh, that this, this has ever actually happened to me, where I see somebody and I like my heart stops, like literally my heart stops. I mean, I'm talking the scene in Wayne's World where he sees Tia Carrera, and all of a sudden he goes, an old dream weaver, and I believe you get the idea. Um, I'm just floored. I'm mesmerized. I can't, I can't breathe. And that's, again, only happened, like I said, uh, you know, and then the next time it happened, I married the person. So you can see what I'm talking about. And so I wasn't trying to be a creep or nothing like that, but it was just, you know, we were, she also happened to be the person in closest proximity, uh, you know, and I just, say, hey, where are we supposed to go? And, you know, we're trying to figure it out together and everything else. And, you know, uh, she couldn't find out her name was Anna. She's from Spain. Um, it's kind of like that, that um, God, that, what, what's what's his name? Marty uh, um, Robbins has that song that goes, I, he goes in, you know, uh, in the West Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl. Well, in the Eastboro, Brooklyn, uh, I fell in love with a girl from Catalonia, part of Spain, from Barcelona, and her English wasn't uh, wholly great. I think she understood it better than she spoke it, uh, but um, regardless, anyway, so we kind of just chatted, and next thing you know, we t- were a team, and we were going to find this concert together. And then uh, we get to the concert, and she, of course, is the most prepared person that I ever went on to know. And has her shit together, me, not so much. And unfortunately, that's still kind of the case. And so, uh, so much so that I get up to will call and my ticket's not there. I work in the industry and all this type kind of stuff. And, uh, and you know, things happen. It's a very anticipated show. So I had no choice but to tell her just to go ahead and go on to the show. And, and but we hadn't exchanged numbers or really anything. And, Later, I found out that she thought that I was telling her to go ahead because I was, like, trying to lose her, like I was done. She had no idea. I was completely smitten. 
So I finally get into the concert and I spend the entire concert looking for this gorgeous Spanish girl. And uh, I thank God I already saw the show, like I said, on Friday or whatever, because I was just, uh, I was not interested in the band. I just wanted to find the, this girl, Anna. So much so that as the show was ending, I forewent the last couple of songs so that I could be by this very narrow exit, just hoping that she would see me. Like she would have to cross this way to find, to see me, and maybe she'd see me or I'd see her. And, um, it, the crowd was thinning, and I and I was starting to kind of get discouraged and almost gave up. When suddenly she tapped me on the back, and I turned around, I couldn't believe it. Uh, anyway, so we ended up going to have a couple of drinks and everything else. And she was in town for a month, but I was actually moving. I was leaving New York, um, or at the very least, I was kind of in a weird transition. I was broke as hell. I didn't have any money, and and I thought, man, I'm going to go back home to Texas for a few months and try to kind of figure some things out. But I wanted to stay as long as I could. In fact, I was supposed to be leaving like in a couple of days, and I was prolonging it to stay there as long as I could while she, while Anna was in town. And and I was working with Claude uh, from Ween, and so I invited her. He was doing a residency at Alphabet City at a place called like Woodside Creek Lounge or some shit. I can't remember. And I don't know. I, I don't know if I didn't have a cell phone. We were having to communicate by email or something, maybe because like her phone wasn't working in country or I didn't have one. I don't quite remember. But anyway, uh, so I just, you know, said, hey, I'm going to email you. Uh, we're doing this show like in a couple of days. I'd love for you to come. And I just prayed that she would show up. And then uh, three days later, show starts. I get it all together. And it's like kind of a sit down cafe kind of style. And I look up and there's like a the little light in the back. And there she is long Spanish black hair and just it before again before I met my wife the most gorgeous woman I've, I've ever seen and, and and I couldn't believe it like I was just again I just floated across the room to her and anyway long story short uh, we uh, completely fell in love and, and tried to uh, make it work and then she had to, to leave and then she goes back to Spain and we tried to, you know, just like in, uh, what do you call it, in, in um, Before Sunrise, we tried to meet up again uh, about six months later at the beginning of the next year in 2011, this time in Los Angeles. I had to be out there for some work and stuff, and I tried to put it together. Again, I was even more broke in January of 2011 than I was that summer. And there was this dude that I used to know. Here, here comes another another one of those delayed middle fingers. There was a dude that I used to know out there. And, and when I say that I know him, I didn't say I didn't know him at all. He kind of knew who I was uh, from Texas and Denton. And for whatever reason, he saw that I kind of had it going on with, you know, with Ween and a few different things. And this guy just really befriended me. And I'm so naive. And I love it when people like me. And because I always assume people do not. And so... Uh, anyway, so we were kind of, you know, he was kind of my go-to guy and I would go out to LA and I would stay there, but I didn't, it took me a while to figure it out that the reason why he was being so nice to me, cause he wanted a piece of it. He wanted, he thought I was, you know, had all these chicks that were just going to be, you know, he was going to walk into this lifestyle by letting me let it, by letting me stay at his place. 
and uh, it ended up being a complete disaster. He was actually out of town, but he had like three other roommates and this other rat-faced bitch that was just trying to make our life miserable. And oh, the whole thing. And I just, I felt so bad because she'd come all this way and she had even sold some shit just to pay for the trip. And she shows up and, and I almost didn't even make it. The flight was like delayed and I had to get her a hotel room for the first night. And um, anyway, so uh, anyway, so, you know, thankfully, th you know, I'm, I'm now with the person I'm supposed to be with and I've got, uh, you know, a beautiful child and all that, but but I spent most of the decade uh, very much uh, regretting how, how much I blew that, um, and it wasn't just because of that. You know, I started having some doubts about if I could make it work, and I was trying to save myself some embarrassment, and and I tried all these different things to try to you know to get back to her and try to make it work, and then. Instead, uh, you know, a whole series of just immaturity and insecurities, um, and she did absolutely nothing wrong. And so, anyway, I want to give a shout out to uh, Ana Cortez. Uh, she uh, completely and totally changed my life. I'm happy to say that Ana and I are still great friends, and we try to talk occasionally, of course. Uh, and uh, I always wish her the best, and she wishes me the best. And uh, and I just wanted to say, uh, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. We, um, we, we only get the chance to talk a couple times a year, but it's always great when we do. So anyway, so that was one of those things that, uh, that really changed my life uh, this decade. It, I mean, I learned so much from her. Uh, she taught me what it meant to, you know, what love really was, and um, and she kind of really kind of forced me to kind of grow up, and I'm, uh, so many things came from that uh, that would not have happened, I believe, it if it hadn't been for her and the way that she inspired me and uh, and what grew from that. So I'm forever grateful to you, Anna, and thank you, uh, darling, and I hope you're having a, uh, a great holiday season. Uh, moving on, uh, you know, speaking, we're talking about Faith No More. Uh, I don't want to skip too much ahead, but it was so great that, you know, that they finally came out with a another record, and I might be playing a song from that here in a little bit. I wanted to mention, while we're talking about 2010, and I mentioned the Rangers earlier, is that uh, that October, one also one of the greatest moments of my entire life was when the Texas Rangers won their first American League Championship Series pennant to go on to their first World Series. Perfectly fittingly, it was against the Yankees. The person in the final out was that jerk-off A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez. And I took my little sister, Allie, and I was, I'm so proud of that. And I'll tell you something right now. When that final out came, it's one of the largest and most powerful explosions of humanity and just excitement and euphoria I've ever witnessed. Wrestling fans might recall that when, I forget what WrestleMania, I think it was after WrestleMania 29, um, Dolph Ziggler cashed in with uh, against Alberto Del Rio. And it's kind of considered to be the loudest pop in, in the modern era. And I was in the house for that that night. And then let me tell you something, this at um, Globe Life Park, it was just, I, I get goosebumps and emotional just thinking about it. And I was just so glad that I shared that with my sister and what a great, great, great thing. And so again, 2010, that's what I think about, man. Pretty Little Liars, 
Faith No More uh, in Brooklyn and, you know, meeting Anna and uh, um, the Pretty Reckless would light me up and the Rangers won in the pennant. So, uh, so before we get into uh, the next year of 2011, I want to take a quick break and mention some of our sponsors. And we want to thank, of course, uh, Belvita. You can see all their stuff in the breakfast aisle. They have a new cookie out. It's super, super duper delicious. You should get it. I mentioned, what are some things that are in our lives now? Well, what's in our life, which pretty much controls and rules, and I almost can't imagine my life without it now. And it's sad to say it. And just this past Christmas, what we added to it is the Google Assistant's. We've got the Lenovo 10-inch downstairs in our family room. We've got the Google Hub in our in our bedroom. And now we have multiple uh, Google Minis throughout the house that we all have linked up to each other. And uh, so we want to thank the great people of Google for being such a great sponsor and, and changing our lives and making our lives so much better now that we are parents. Uh, my gosh, uh, I really could not imagine not being able to say... Hey, Google, play my son's favorite song on a whim. Music on a whim. What a great, what a wonderful world it is. And now they even do read-alongs. I mean, but I still choose to still read to my own child. So that's uh, that's kind of a weird gig. But anyway, uh, we'll be right back with more music and more stories uh, beginning with 2011. Hey folks, this is Brian O'Halloran. You might know me from such iconic classic films as Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Vulgar. Anyway, you're listening to Tricky Kid Radio. Hi, this is Marilyn Gigliotti. Most people know me as Veronica from Clerks. It ain't 37. Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. Hey everybody, this is actor and musician Scott Schiaffo, best known from the Kevin Smith films Clerks and Vulgar. You are listening to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner in 2011 to start that year um, again was something unthinkable I, I mentioned the whole nightmare with the you know the, the the pseudo friend of mine from Los Angeles and and, and what I unfortunately had to put poor Anna through uh, those first couple of weeks but I was there for like six weeks and uh, and you know I was working so with Claude and Ween and Ween was ending a tour at the three nights at the Wiltern or whatever. And so we were, we were doing all that. And, uh, anyway, and so Claude was actually part of this other thing. Claude was, uh, in a, has his own band called a mandala. And one of the guys in a mandala is a guy named Dan Green, a great friend of ours. And shout out to Dan, who's about to become a parent for the first time as well. And congratulations to, to Dan and, and, uh, and his girl and his, his new family. But, Dan somehow landed a gig with this band called the Honey Brothers. And the Honey Brothers are led by Ari and Ethan Gold. And if the term Ari, name Ari Gold rings a bell, uh, you probably think of the show Entourage. And, and wouldn't you know it, the drummer for the Honey Brothers is Adrian Grenier, uh, if I'm saying his name right, was the drummer. And Ari uh, had a movie out at the time that he made called uh, The Adventures of Power about this like air drummer who saves the world and already plays power. And when you think of drumming, you think of air drumming, who do you think of, of course? You think of Rush. And you think of uh, 
of, uh, you know, of course, you know, God on drums, man. You think of Neil Peart, right? But if you don't think about Neil Peart, you know that he is, you know, famously reclusive, um, honest uh, guy who who is not going to play the game of Hollywood and bullshit. Uh, what's the line from Limelight? I have no heart to lie, to pretend a stranger is a, a long-awaited friend or whatever. And so, you know, I'm a massive, massive Rush fan, and uh, we'll get into that too. We're talking about, you know, people who are no longer in our lives in terms of, of, a, of a living entity or a live entity. You know, Rush uh, played their final show a couple of years ago, uh, and I miss them dearly. Um, anyway, so you, you would think if I'm going to meet any member of Rush, it's going to be the other two guys who are the polar opposite when it comes to being affable and approachable and, and, and likable and meetable and all those wonderful things. So oddly, um, in between uh, the, I guess it was after the last Ween show, Claude stayed in town so that his band, Amandala, or, uh could do this gig with the Honey Brothers that was part of this charity thing for VH1, Save the Music Foundation, and uh, for Adventures of Power movie, whatever. Now, I hadn't seen the movie. I didn't know Neil Peart was in it. And when they were joking with me at this private event that Neil Peart was coming, I, I thought they were just giving me shit because... They all knew I'm a big Rush fan. On I would just drive Claude crazy on tour. I was always putting in, you know, the latest Rush record and all that kind of stuff. When sure as shit, uh, I'm sitting at the bar, this uh, this Lithuanian bar in, in Hollywood, um, when in walks Neil Peart. And uh, we had a nice conversation, and uh, we didn't, of course, I didn't talk about Rush, whatever, and we just... And it was funny because all these like famous musicians are around him and they're all acting all fan and shit. And so anyway, uh, but Neil handled it all very, very well. He was exactly what you would think uh, in terms of that. He was very kind to me and we just had a nice chat. And that's just one of those things that, you know, you're not ever really going to uh, forget, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, some other things. Let's see. Let's see. What, what else? What else kind of happened uh, in 2011? I'll tell you a few things. Um, well, you know, I might not have, have started watching or got turned on to it, uh, but in April of 2011, uh, Game of Thrones started. Now, I, I'll be honest, and I still haven't seen season eight, so no spoilers out there, uh, but uh, I don't think I even saw season one, episode one, till maybe like two years ago. I know you're like, what the crap, but but man, it just kind of took over, didn't it? And uh <clears throat> And I know that, like, whenever I have watched the uh, the seasons, I have I have binged watched them as much as I can. And uh, you know, right now, you know, I'm, I'm working with King's X and uh, making this movie. And the guitar player Ty Tabor is a big um, Game of Thrones guy. And and there have been several episodes of Game of Thrones that were so upsetting to me that I had to kind of kind of put kind of shelve it for a little bit and kind of think, well, do I really want to continue with this? But I have made it through all the way through seven seasons, and after the holidays, I might try to uh, start with uh, season eight, the final one. Uh, but Game of Thrones definitely has shaped uh, this decade for me and a lot of people, so that's why I mention it. Uh, something else, uh, again, who, who entered our life? And uh, again, I also fell in love with like a lot of strangers. Like, meaning like people that I've never actually still met. Like a total uh, asshole, lovesick uh, fanboy guy who's, uh, what's the Van Halen song, uh, fall in love with a face in a magazine? Like, 
That's happened to me. And, and, and I'm not really somebody that's eligible for that. But let me tell you something right now. I fell and am still completely head over heels in love with a, oh my gosh, like, gosh, what, what do you say about this person? Uh, I, professionally, she is, uh, um, uh, or I guess her Christian name uh, is April Mendez or April Mendez Brooks, I guess she would say now. But uh, I first was introduced to her uh, as AJ Lee. She is a was a professional wrestler. Uh, that made her main roster debut on May 27th of 2011 on an episode of SmackDown. She's part of a tag team with a, a good friend of hers that wrestled under the name of Caitlin. And they called themselves the Chick Busters. And uh, anyway, uh, I am a lifelong wrestling fan. And, and this was kind of before the, um, which is so great now that finally, you know, the women are getting the the, the, the attention they deserve and are treated as equals. And, and a lot of it has to do with the fact is is that they're they're actually training these women and and, and not you know putting them in as sideshows. I mean they're like equal athletes. They even headlined WrestleMania last year. Well, anyway, I I don't I couldn't even begin to tell you why, but I just happened to be watching SmackDown that night in May of 2011. And when AJ Lee came try, uh, down the uh, the ramp there, I was a different person. I don't I don't know how to say it. I, I'm not kidding. Like she is one of the loves of my life. I know that sounds so creepy. And she ever hears this, or ever actually meet her in person, she's gonna go, "Hey, aren't you the guy that like?" But no, I was just I was just transfixed. I was completely mesmerized. She she did not look like any of the other wrestlers. She just had a presence to her. Physically, she's my complete and total ideal. Um, my wife looks just like her. <laughs> it's like the whole thing. I said a creep. I went out and oh, was that single white female thing, and I went out and um, and, and uh, found a lookalike. But no. Um, but what's so neat about it is that regardless, you know, she could have had a very short-lived career. Because, you know, back then it was all about, you know, the, the, the blonde girl with, the, you know, in fact, the girl Caitlin, uh, no disrespect to her, but she very much fit that mold. You know, the, 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 you know, the big tits and the big hair and the blonde and the whole thing. And AJ is like this, like, you know, very petite, very thin uh, gal. And so she could have had a very short-lived career. They could have decided to do nothing with her. Uh, but I feel like that it's not a coincidence on two twofold that she was just too awesome to ignore. She's just so smart and brought something very unique and different. And she very much touched upon a demographic that people hadn't really touched on before. Uh, that maybe not had, had really had existed before or just kind of this marginalized type kind of thing. Basically, she represents the 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 loser loner geeks uh, of the world, like myself. <laughs> but no, but seriously, um, but I just think it's kind of neat because again, she could have just turned it off, off into obscurity, and I always would have thought, man, what whatever happened to to AJ Lee? But instead, she rose to the freaking top because she was again too awesome to ignore. Um, had a you know had a had a short but unforgettable career. It was like four or five years she did it all. Won all the belts, kicked all the ass, uh, left under kind of some weird circumstances. She married another wrestler that uh, ended up having a falling out with the company and, and whatever. Uh, but then she went on to write a great, great book called Crazy is My Superpower, which is about her kind of uh, 
uh, dealing with uh, some mental illness uh, issues and stuff, whatever, that she has owned and, and used to inspire others. And, and now her and Amy Garcia... Uh, are now writing comic books. How cool is that, right? I mean, talk about a, a true, a true geek uh, a princess, uh, just a, a geek's dream. Uh, still talking about wrestling. You guys, listeners of the show, know that I am, am great friends with some of the original uh, cast members of an old wrestling show called Glow, the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, from way back in the '80s. And Netflix uh, has a show that's in like their third or fourth season now. That is kind of based on it. It's just called Glow, but it's a you know it's a scripted acted show and everything else. <clears throat> but again, listeners of the show will know that we've had Roxy Astor on the show and, and several others, and and uh, I've enjoyed a great relationship with them over the years. Well, now there is a comic book version of kind of the Netflix show uh, for Glow, and then there's a spinoff called I think it's called like Versus the Babyface. And AJ and Amy Garcia are writing the thing. And I just now got the first couple of issues. I haven't had a chance to check them out yet. But uh, very excited about that. Make sure you check that out. And, uh, I mean, and how freaking cool is that, right? So, uh, still in keeping with the 2011 theme. Now, uh, keep in mind, 2015 through 18, since the show started in 2015, have their own, again, year and episode. So, the ones prior to that don't. So, that's why I'm trying to kind of, you know, kind of catch up on all that. Because so, we're going to kind of skip through a lot of the 2015 to, to 18. Uh, and I'll kind of point you to our year-end uh, episodes there if you like to catch up on that kind of stuff. But And we're still going to going to touch upon that but uh, on a few things. But one thing I wanted to mention was uh, the craft beer boom. Okay? All right. I mean, think about it. In 2009 and eight, I probably was... Uh, not even really that interested in beer, right? you know. You go to the bar uh, and it's like whatever is the cheap shit. And and if you were feeling, if it was tax season or whatever, you were drinking Heineken instead of PBR. Yeah, you didn't really give it a lot of thought, right? I never drank that PBR shit anyway. But anyway, but somewhere around the way, this craft boat beer boom came. And again, I know that some people can take it to some really obnoxious extremes. And I love a quote from Anthony Bourdain where he said, uh, uh, you know, beer is meant to be drank, not not chatted about. You don't sit at a bar and talk about the beer. You drink it. And I, I could not echo that uh, any louder. Um at the same time, however, uh, it is, for the sake of what we're talking about here, is neat to talk about all these great microbreweries that have popped up all over the world, uh, especially here in Texas. Uh, Shout-outs to Revolver and Community and uh, Gesture King. I just went and paid them a visit down in Austin. Uh, lots and lots of great, great stuff. And, um, and so much so that I forget what year it was, but somewhere this decade, uh, they made home brewing no longer illegal. I didn't even know it was ever illegal, right? But looking back on, it, I guess it makes sense. And so I started making my own beer around 2012, and um, and of something I really, really enjoy. And it seems as time uh, goes on, there's all these great. Oh yeah, Omen Gang. It's baseball and and uh, and and beer, man. Um, Omen Gang is from Cooperstown, New York, where the um, Baseball Hall of Fame is. They have made the best to, to date, the best beer I've ever had, and I've had plenty of the elder. So Russian River Brewing in California, you are definitely right there at number one. But Almond Gang in 
in Cooperstown, New York, has a beer called Three Philosophers, and I just got their uh, Barrel Age limited release, and it was the highlight of Christmas this year for me in terms of imbibement. Um, but something else that happened over the holiday season uh, was, talking about home brewing, was we did this great, great episode where I combined, uh, it was our last episode actually, where I combined two of my great passions. Listeners of the show know how much I have been obsessed with uh, G.I. Joe my whole life, and come to find out one of the uh, the the owner of one of the largest collections of original art uh, for G.I. Joe is actually a, a woman named Diana Davis, this wonderful lady who lives in Burbank, and we were out there uh, just recently, and then she's married to a guy who's a colorist for the G.I. Joe comic book, who also happens to be one of a part of this collective called the Maltos Falcons that is the most prominent and prolific homebrewer association in the world, uh, led by Drew Beecham, uh, who is authored, you know, he's the authority on homebrewing. So check out our previous episode called G.I. Joe uh, and Brew. We talk about the history of G.I. Joe and we talk about homebrewing uh, and, and, and the craft beer revolution. So I urge you to check that out. And, uh, and and then, again, uh, the Texas Rangers were headed back to the World Series, uh, this time against St. Louis. Uh, I mentioned Anthony Bourdain. I'll, I'll say this. I remember that game six that anybody that ever – we don't talk about it in Texas. The Texas Rangers weren't one out away. They weren't one anyway. They were one strike away. Like, it was a – we were down to the wire – Here's the funny thing. I didn't get to watch the game live or even on TV. I was at an Anthony Bourdain show where he, you know, performs his kind of spoken word kind of kind of deal at the Granada Theater in Dallas, Texas, and I had recorded it praying for no spoilers. And I went home and watched it and it's that whole World Series, even though we ended up uh, ultimately losing to the St. Louis Cardinals in a very heartbreaking thing cuz it forced it to a game 7 that we ultimately ended up losing. But uh, any fan of baseball can't be mad about that World Series because it is the greatest World Series. My favorite will always be 1980 because it was my first, and that's where I became a Phillies, lifelong Phillies fan. Uh, and anybody who grew up in the 80s will never forget the 86 Mets. Um, but my gosh, uh, top to bottom, it was just, as a fan of the sport, it had it all and unforgettable. So that's what I think about in 2011 is starting uh, some homebrewing, A.J. Lee, Game of Thrones, Neil Peart, and the greatest World Series ever. Uh, Headed into uh, 2012 brought us the very first Van Halen album with David Lee Roth since 1984. So if you're counting there, that's 28 long, long years. Uh, and it came out with an album called A Different Kind of Truth, which is great. And what was funny, the first lead single to it, I was just so damn happy that they were back together that it, it could have, you know. But I'll admit, the first single, Tattoo, didn't really blow me away and still really doesn't. And it's sad, too, because it, it automatically turned people away from actually listening to the rest of the record, which is phenomenal. It is so good. 
And people kind of go, really? Really? Like, what? Like, uh, yes. And if you slept on it, then I shame on you and I employ you right now. I know they're kind of in the news right now with this whole thing with Billie Eilish not knowing who Van Halen is, which I think she was just joking, by the way. I think that, um, but regardless, Van Halen, man, a different kind of truth. Did you sleep on it? I bet you won't after you hear this. I'm going to play you a song called Out of Space. And, uh, you know, it was some of all their older stuff kind of reconfigured or finally put out like, uh, like, you know, she's, she's the woman and stuff like that. But dude, out of space, get ready. Here it comes from 2012, a different kind of truth. And we'll be right back with much, much more. Again, that was out of space from the mighty Van Halen 
from 2012's uh, A Different Kind of Truth, which I pray is not their final album. Uh, you might know this right now that David Lee Roth is actually going to kick off uh, a solo tour, which doesn't, or a solo residency, I should say, which doesn't really bode well for a, a Van Halen reunion coming up anytime soon, which they kind of teased some sort of stadium thing that was going to happen, particularly with the Foo Fighters this past summer that never panned out. You know how it always is with that camp. It's always a little dysfunctional and a little crazy, and they have no interest in, in clearing things up. Um, I had even got to speak with uh, Michael Anthony at the beginning of, of this year at NAM, and I encourage you to check out that episode uh, of Tricky Kid Radio. And I thought it was going to happen. But anyway, David Lee Roth is going to kick off a residency in Vegas. And he has like 10 shows in January and another handful of shows in March. And we will be out there on opening night. Uh, very excited to see David Lee uh, in any capacity. So uh, so we got Van Halen back in our lives. Uh, but unfortunately, in May of 2012, uh, probably one of the hardest... Um, losses of somebody that I, I never actually met. Well, actually, I did meet him a couple of times, but you know, somebody that I didn't really know uh, was Adam Yauk from the Beastie Boys. And uh, in May of 2012, he had he had passed, and they had just come out with uh, a great record a year before uh, called the Hot Sauce Committee. And uh, anyway, uh, you know, I'm going to let people know something. People think that I'm like holding a beef and all this, and I, you know, like right now I'm doing this, Again, this King's X movie, and uh, and you know, there obviously there's a, there's a series of people that we have to interview, that I want to interview, that I can't wait to interview, and that are part of the story. And anyway, uh, and so what I wanted to let our listeners in on here's 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 another delayed middle finger. Actually, it's not delayed because I extended my middle finger as far as I could extend it at the time was there's a guy uh, who uh, has always been kind to me, let's be clear, but there's a guy named Eddie Trunk. And you guys know Eddie Trunk has this radio show and the whole thing, and for a while he had this really lame show originally titled That Metal Show. And anytime if I were to speak out about this, I, I, I come off as like the, en- the envious one, or I'm just like sour grapes, whatever. And the deal is this. Eddie's always been nice to me. I've met him several times. He's always been very kind to me. I have no personal beef there. But we live in this world that he has kind of made a career off of that I definitely take exception to. And it's this, that he is somehow some kind of an authority on metal or or whatever. And I think people are just so just overwhelmingly uh, just excited that there's somebody out there that's kind of carrying the metal flag, as it were, that they're not all together ready to question it. And I just wanted to say this, that Eddie Trunk does not represent me as a metal fan. And again, we live in this world where, and I've talked about this a couple of times before, uh, but we live in this world where it's like, hey, I, I just mentioned Van Halen. Hey, man, is Van Halen going to get back together again? We better ask Eddie Trunk. Guys, Eddie Trunk does not know any more than you do. Okay, he likes you to think that he does, but he doesn't. Okay, there's a guy that we had on our show who's a great guy from Tulsa. He wrote a great book on Van Halen called Van Halen Rising. Got a new one coming out about the Van Halen producer Ted Templeman. I'm looking forward to. Greg's a great guy, and he was like one of our first uh, episodes. But we get again. We live in this world where oh my God, what's happening with Van Halen? I better ask Greg Renoff. 
Greg Rinoff does not know any more than you do. He couldn't even get one member of Van Halen to contribute to his book. Everything that you read in that book are found interviews that he was able to just put together and, and, and expound upon. So he doesn't know at all. And it's like we live in a world where people will suddenly their couch looks like Eddie Van Halen's guitar and they'll take a picture of it and post it on Twitter and tag Greg and I better let Greg know that my aunt's couch looks like Eddie Van Halen's guitar because they want to try to get close to it. And anyway, Eddie Trunk has rode the wave of that sort of support and uh, and it, I find it to be nauseating and I find him to be nauseating. And this is what I'm getting at is it when... Adam Yauch passed away. He said the most unforgivable shit Eddie Trunk did on Twitter. Basically, he made, like, he does everything. He made it all about him. And he was all like, well, I wasn't really much of a fan, so I don't really understand why people were so up in arms. But, uh, you know, whatever. I uh, hope uh, his friends and family are. I mean, it was gross. And he did the exact same thing when Whitney Houston died. And uh, sorry, I, I don't forget things like that, and I don't forgive things like that. And so um, here is my, and I, and I let him have it on Twitter at the time, but here is a reminder. Here's another middle finger to Eddie Trunk. Uh, and this is, if, you, if people are wondering why Eddie Trunk will not be in the King's X movie, look no further, because I have no intentions of including him on anything that I will ever be a part of at the very least, until he makes some sort of public apology about that. So anyway, so anyway, it's my show and it's my uh, format to complain into bitch. <laughs> so, but ultimately I just wanted to say that Adam Yauch, uh, I, I think about him like almost every day. I, he was such a huge part. I always thought of myself as the fourth member of the Beastie Boys and uh, he had such an impact on my life. And again, when I think about the celebrities that have passed, um, you know, especially this decade, um, his is one of the, the, the hardest of any decade, uh, especially for me. So, uh, anyway, uh, so anyway, much love to the Beastie Boys and to Adam Yauk. And, uh, if you haven't had a chance, they have, they did something really, really cool this, this, this year I got to be a part of it or see rather. They came out with a book that's called Beastie Boys Book, and it is the greatest thing in the world. It is, it is exactly what you would expect from those guys. Something completely different, unique. They have, they've always created their own worlds and worlds that you would love, um, and they for, forwent the usual format for a bit of an autobiography and did something incredibly cool that only they could do. And even if you've read the book, if you haven't read or heard the uh, commentary or, or the, the read along, or I guess you would say the, I guess the audiobook, it is to die for. It is the greatest thing in the world. And so much so they actually performed the book, if you can imagine. Uh, some of the scenes are, are you know, in the uh, from, you know, stories from the book on stage. And I got to see it in Brooklyn uh, earlier this year. Um, and they filmed it. And it should be coming out. Uh, something else we can look forward to in 2020 is the Beastie Boys book live on stage. So make sure you keep your eyes open for that. Um, now, uh, you know, I don't have too many notes for 2013 other than the fact is that I, I did put together, I did, uh, one of my other great passions in life is actually is pinball. And I'm going to have something to surprise you guys with very, very, very soon. 
uh, is I've always wanted to make my own pinball machine, and there's something that I've been been passionate about and working on, and it's going to take it takes forever to do it. But uh, again, I've always been fearless. I, I was never a filmmaker. Now I'm making a film. I'm, I don't know anything about home brewing. Now I make my own beer. Uh, you know, so who says I can't make my own freaking pinball machine, right? You know, you make your own way in life. And that's something my mom's always taught me. And it's something that I'm very proud to, 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 you know, as long as you're fearless and ambitious and with a work ethic and not afraid to fail, you can do anything. And I believe that. Uh, anyway, but so there's a great thing called the Texas Pinball Festival. It happens right down the road here in Frisco, Texas. It happens every spring, usually at the end of March, early April. It's one of my favorite weekends of the year. And I'm hoping to have something other than attending as a fan or as a member of the press, as I usually am. I'm actually hoping to attend as a vendor uh, sooner than later. So keep your eyes peeled for that. That might be something not necessarily in 2020, but definitely within this next uh, decade. I promise you the next time we do one of these year and decade things, we'll be talking about the pinball machines that I've made. And I say machines as in plural. So, uh, again, the whole uh, thing of, like, you know, people coming and going in out of our lives. Uh, in 2014, on Valentine's Day, which happens to be my wife's birthday, by the way. She's so sweet, she was born on Valentine's Day. Uh, was the return of Chibo Motto. And they came out with an album called Hotel Valentine on, on Valentine's Day. And it's, such a, it's, a, it's this weird concept record, of course. What would you expect from them? about a ghost who inhabits this hotel of love. It's a, it's a band that they started based upon food and love. Uh, so how perfect is it that, they're, that they came out with a record called uh, Hotel Valentine about this ghost that lives in this, again, this Hotel Valentine. Uh, the first single off of it, they had to kind of censor its title called MFN, which means, of course, obviously, you know what it means. It's the craziest, funkiest shit and one of the greatest songs. Uh, and that album would probably would make my top 10 of the decade. And I, so that's why I got to play you a song from it. So I'm going to play you MFN from Chibo Models Valentine's Day. Unfortunately, the band didn't stick around much longer after that. And they kind of called it a day a few years later with no previous releases uh, after this. So as we know it, this is the final Chibo Model record as we know it. Obviously, they were also, you know, associated with uh, with the Beastie Boys and the Grand Royal label and things like that. So if you ever wanted to check them out or whatever, didn't know where to start, whatever, you start anywhere. Start here with Valen with Hotel Valentine, the song MFN. And we'll be right back. <laughs> Shake it up, shake it up, shake it up my heart. 
This is Sam Jones slash Gordon. I'm with Roy Turner at Tricky Kid Radio. And you better be tuning in or I will find you. Yes, I will. Yes. <laughs> okay, hope you enjoyed that song from Chibo Motto uh, off their album Hotel Valentine. You know, 2014 also brought us the WWE Network. As you can see, a long-running theme through this whole episode is... Uh, you know, comics and wrestling, you know, things that I'm interested in. Uh, but again, things that have been a constant. So now, before 2014, there was no WWE Network. And now I probably, if I watch 20 hours or more of television or any sort of streaming viewing a week, I would say half of it is probably from the WWE Network. It's a great, great thing. It's a one-stop shop. I used to have... That's something else that, that this, in this decade, uh, the, the millennials have made it clear that you no longer need to own things to experience them, But which I'm glad to see that the people are um, interested in vinyl once again. For Christmas, my you know teenage nephews are asking for record players and vinyl, which is awesome, right? But back in the day, this was the only way to experience anything. You didn't really have a choice. Uh, if you wanted to watch the movie or you wanted to hear the record, you had to own it. Now you don't. You know. Now you don't have to. But I used to have this whole library of all these old uh, WWF, you know, DVDs and VHS tapes that were kind of collecting dust or uh, aging and things like that. And so now I just hit a button, and there it is. The my that whole and not, it's also not taking up all the space in my house anymore. So 
Uh, but there are certain things I held on to. You know, of course, you can't get rid of all of it. But anyway, WWE Network, uh, shine up. It's only 10 bucks a month. And every pay-per-view ever that you've always wanted to see that you've got, you know, on some labeled Memorex VHS tape on some box, you don't have to find a VCR to watch it. It's right there at your fingertips. Also, I mentioned G.I. Joe earlier. Again, check out our, our G.I. Joe and uh, Brewing episode. It was the episode previous to this one, our most current episode. Uh, in 2014, I met Larry Hama for the first time. Hama, I should say. Thank you. And went on have, have met him several times. And he's been a guest on this show a couple of times. Uh, anyway, but I, I wanted to direct you to trickykid.com. It's tricky-kid.com. Uh, I tell a great, great story in print there that I, I don't. I really don't think I could do justice uh, with the time that we have left here that's allotted. So anyway, I met Larry in Dallas uh, very unexpectedly, and it was one of the greatest moments of my life. He's been one of the most influential people right now at this very desk. I'm staring at a picture of me and Larry as he's holding my son, Miles, who eventually will inherit all of these G.I. Joe books that I've saved uh, for him my whole life. Hope you like to read, kid. And he does. He's already in love with books. He's 16 months old, and he reads as much as I do, which is great and very inspiring and uh, very uh, rewarding to see. But anyway, uh, much love to Larry. Uh, he's been... If I had to list five people in my life uh, that have had the biggest influence on my life, uh, he would definitely would make that top five there. Uh, and it's been such a pleasure to have him on the show uh, several times and hope to have him on again uh, very, very, very soon. Look at our archives under uh, for Larry Hama, the great uh, basic creator of, of G.I. Joe Universe as we know it. And look for the story that I tell on TrickyKid.com. Just type in TrickyKid.com, Larry Hama. It should come right on up there. Uh, then... Um, we get into 2015, and again, 15 to 18 have their own year-end episodes. So while you're in the archives, if, if you hear something we talk about, uh, just check it out. Just go there. Go to iTunes. I encourage you all to subscribe. It's free. It's easy. Just go to iTunes. Type in Tricky Kid Radio Podcast or Tricky Kid Radio on the podcast app on your iPhone. It'll come right up. Android users, same thing. We're in the Google Play Store. We're now on iHeartRadio. Uh, very proud to say we're on Pandora and anywhere where you can where you consume FM player, Stitcher, anywhere where you consume your podcast, we're there under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. We'd love to, for you to join our conversation on Twitter. Uh, i got a lot coming up this next year and this next decade. We mentioned the King's X film and a lot of great projects coming up. The Pinball Project, lots of great stuff. Uh, check us out at Tricky Kid and the number two. It's Tricky Kid and the number two. Also, we have a YouTube channel. Uh, if you're interested in King's X right now, there's a lot of great dossiers I did with the guys that are really funny in a kind of a spinal tap kind of kind of way. Uh, we're under Tricky Kid TV. Check that out. We're also on Facebook under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast, and I'm under I'm on Instagram under DJ Tricky Kid. Uh, so again, we started 2015 off. Uh, with wow, what a what a crazy one two three punch uh, this was, and this is crazy. And, and here's some more falling in love. No, um, so I went to the AVN Awards for the first time uh, in that year, and I'd usually by the end of the of the year I'm wiped out. I'm not planning on anything. I'm I'm just now getting my bearings again by March, just in time to get my ass to Austin for South by Southwest, where I'm still. You know, washing the the puke off my clothing from New Year's Eve, man. It's like January and February are usually dead, dead months. 
And I got the invitation to come and cover AVN, and I did. And my gosh, it was crazy and so much fun. And again, kind of not necessarily life-changing, but one of those things uh, that I now uh, tend to do every year. I, I haven't done it every year since 2015, but I think I've done it almost every year. And we will be there uh, in uh, in just a few weeks in 2020 um, uh, to kind of kick off uh, the year right. Uh, the first kind of big event we'll be at. We'll be there all week. I'll be, again, my alter ego, DJ Tricky Kit, will be there spinning records. I'll be interviewing uh, the performers and, uh, and filming it for Tricky Kit TV. It's always a great time. If you don't know anything about the industry, which I did not previously, uh, it's such a great community of people uh, who do not deserve a lot of the um, taboo exclusions that they've suffered over the years. Uh, it's a great industry. It's great people. Um, and like any industry, just like in rock and roll, there are some really shitty people um, that I would definitely would advise you to stay away from. But uh, but to dismiss it as a whole is a mistake. And and that, that whole week is a good time. So looking forward to being back in Vegas, even though I hate Vegas. Um, for AVN and to see my man David Lee Roth doing his residency coming up. But 2015, I guess I thought I was invincible because I went into AVN and didn't sleep for a week and I don't even drink coffee, let alone do drugs. Then I then got over to my very first Sundance and while you're at Sundance, it's a simultaneous uh, concurrent indie film festival called Slam Dance. And again, something life-changing happened there. I tell this whole story on a website, of course. Uh, but I ended up uh, meeting a wrestler named Diamond Dallas Page, who happens, who has to be one of the most inspiring, inspirational, positive, unstoppable, and relentlessly positive human beings I've ever met. And he's had he's had a, a massive impact on my life. He's the one that encouraged me to do this show, so much so that he agreed to be my first guest on my first episode to get the things going here. And so endless love and praise and respect and, and gratitude towards Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, he's also the one that in encouraged me to do so many things in my life, including the movie that I'm working on. He's just like, you just got to go for it, man. And when you're around Dallas... You'll feel it, man. I'm and I'm a super positive guy. A lot of people have told me the same thing about me, which which is which is a great compliment that I've have motivated them even when I didn't know that I did. But when you're around um, the force of nature that is Diamond Dallas Page, he will literally make you feel like you can do anything. And I've gotten so much mileage and has paid so much dividends. And I ended up getting the spin. He was the surprise entry at Royal Rumble that year, but I'd met him because he had a a, a movie. Uh, about kind of he does a thing called DDP yoga and through DDP yoga he has really helped a lot of people Chris Jericho talks about him about it quite a bit on his show and uh, he has a movie about it called The Resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts and you 80s and early 90s uh, wrestling fans remember Jake the Snake and and then to an extension Scott Hall who also wrestled as Razor Ramon and they had a movie in the film festival um, again called The Resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts which is fantastic you should check out and anyway, I ended up getting to, to hang with them all week and then I ended up getting to go, go to a private uh, Royal Rumble watching party, which was unthinkable. Imagine having some Super Bowl party that you just have with your friends at your house and, you know, somebody, you know, order some pizza or, or barbecues or something and you just have a few friends over and they bring a few friends. 
it just happened to be one of those things, except it happened to be with Scott Hall and Jake Roberts. And I was like, well, where's, where's Dallas? And, uh, and then as we're watching the show, he is the surprise entry. So um, it was my first Sundance. I hope to return to Sundance next year. I mean, I'm sorry, in 2021 with this King's X film. Uh, so very, very excited about that. Uh, uh, fingers crossed there, but uh, we're aiming at you, the, the Cowboys from hell there. Um, and, um, and then while I was in Park City, one horrible thing that happened was I ended up catching, uh, gosh, altitude sickness, which is the worst feeling I've ever felt in my life. I'm not kidding. I was sick for like six weeks. Um I've never been that sick in my entire life. And I was just a miserable sick. It wasn't like, oh, I've got the cold or I've got whatever. I mean, I, I, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I mean, just dying, man. Just death. Uh, but then, uh, check it out. So while I was in Sund at Sundance, I got invited to come to a Comic-Con called Fan Expo or Fan Salt Lake City Fan Experience or something like that. And um, and what's funny about it, looking back on it now, because it's so commonplace now, you know, doing what I do. Uh, but you know, I've been collecting comic books since 1982. And when I would go to a Comic Con, I'm not talking about like the one in San Diego or the Wizard World thing that happens. And now, you know, it seems like there's a little satellite Comic Con or some sort of comic show happening almost weekly now, because the genre has become so popular thanks to the, you know, to um, you know, the Marvel Universe movies and all that kind of stuff and comic book collecting in general, which I'm, I'm so happy about. But even then, in 2015, there was seemed to be like two or three kind of, you know, important ones. And one of them was the one in Salt Lake City. And I got invited to stick around and go, like Carrie Fisher was going to be there and it was just kind of this big, legit deal. And I thought, cool, man, I'll stick around and I'll go. I, I actually never been to even a comic book show. So I go, and two, again, life-changing things happen while I'm there. You're thinking, well, God, how lame do you have to be to have your life changed at Comic-Con? Well, the answer is this, my friend. One is that this is the very first time I ever heard a word that has entered my vernacular that I use often. Um, and I'm going to point you to a couple of things. I had never heard the word cosplay before. I'm not even sure it was a the the nomenclature of, of our times. It is widespread as it is now, where now there's you know global competitions and it's big business and and big people are doing it so much so that even celebrities are you know, getting in, in on the game and, and, and the whole nine and advertisers are using cosplay to, but it's a real art form. But what did it for me was I was walking around there and to me, I wouldn't call it cosplay. I didn't even know what that word was, but you know, I, I'd seen people dress up, you know, like when you went to the midnight showing of Star Wars, there'd be a couple of people there dressed up as Ewoks or maybe a couple of people holding a lightsaber, but those were always people that were kind of a target of ridicule. Not for me. I, you know, I thought it was cool and do what do you and, uh, but it did kind of seem kind of uh, like okay, it's time to grow up and or you know, God, like like this guy has no self awareness uh, of what they're doing. Uh, boy, did the nerds inherit the earth, my friends? Because now it's like if you don't do cosplay, you're kind of lame. Like you go to Comic Con, it's you go to any comic book show. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal, and it's so much fun. It's so great, and I'm so glad to see it. 
Okay. But what made me really had the light bulb moment was I turned the corner of some booth, whatever, and it's like beetle fucking mania happening. I mean, there's just this... I mean, I thought there was somebody huge, like hugely famous, of just this, this mega buzz that was just buzzing around this one booth. And I see this girl who I have to say... Uh, to this day, like I said, I mentioned Anna, I mentioned my wife. Uh, this has got to be one of the most just unbelievably profoundly beautiful women I've, I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and her name is Joni Brosis. And what's so cool about Joni is that she is as cool and as nice and as likable and as humble and down to earth and just completely egoless. Uh, as she as she is gorgeous. I mean, somebody that you see and you, you can't believe that they're even real. I couldn't even believe this person was real. And I'm proud to say that Joni has been our guest multiple times uh, on the show. And we've gone on to become great friends. And I point you again to our YouTube channel, which is Tricky Kid TV. And you can see Joni doing one of my favorite cosplays of her. She does this really great uh, version of Mary Jane uh, that is super awesome and super great and, of course, super hot. Uh, she definitely has my all-time favorite Vam Vampirella, which is one of my favorite comics, which really blew up this year. Vampirella uh, with Red Sonia. Dynamite Comics is really on fire right now. It's really kicking some serious ass, and they have these great cosplay covers, and, and Joni's a part of that, and... Um, and so much so that she even came out with her own line of shirts uh, as part of the uh, the cosplay line because she has one of the greatest, probably most recognizable Vampirellas of the modern era. But she's just gorgeous inside and out, man. And we have done, ever since then, a cosplay episode. We've done several. I've, I've kind of... I'm so now dialed in, not so much in the last couple of years, but really from 15 to 18, uh, and we even did one this year, uh, I was just, it just became this new thing uh, for me and for the show and for our blog and and got us, and gosh, people were really enjoying it and, and coming to our website and enjoying it and checking it out. So we now do an annual, the 2000, whatever year it is, Tricky Kid top cosplayers of the year and shout out to our cosplayer of the year this year uh with a girl named ivy uh congratulations to her, her today is actually her birthday so happy birthday to ivy check her out under ivy cosplay uh she's under ivy cosplay on twitter and instagram and we have links to this on our website at trickykid.com if you go there right now you can see all of our ranking um people and how we rank them isn't because one's better than the other it's just the people that we met within the calendar year just like with the records and, but the, the main rule is, is that you were nice and you were cool to me and my staff and whatever. I don't care how great your cosplay was or how hot you are. If you were un, if you were unpleasant or in any way uh, 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 difficult, you're not somebody we're going to want to want to support or promote or um, drive people to to be involved with whatever that you're doing. And, uh, and I don't make any apologies about that, but, uh, but the great thing is that it's never really happened. I mean, like I said, everyone, almost everybody that I've ever met has always been so kind and so cool. And, and there's never been anybody that I purposely had to omit cause they were whatever, just, but, uh, but there are some that shine brighter than others. And gosh, Joni and Joni was our tricky kid cosplayer of the year for like th the first three years. And, um, 
And Daniel Danicola was last year's, and this year's it was Ivy. So anyway, check out all those posts. But I, I, I have endless gratitude to Joni Brosis. Uh, again, uh, I swear to you, just like I, I, I've never actually met AJ Lee, but uh, like I said, uh, one of the the three, one of the four times that I have fallen in love uh, this decade. But that really brought a lot to uh, to, to our life, and uh, and this really has shaped this this show and and a lot of the projects that I do. So I encourage you to check that out. And if you've never been to a comic book show, what the hell are you waiting on? Go go to one. Okay, uh, so now um, after doing that, uh, let's see here. Um, unfortunately, the year didn't quite end as well as it began. Uh, not tragically, but Rush so far has basically claimed that they have played their final show. And uh, I mentioned Neil Peart earlier and everything else. And those guys have, have meant so much to me. Again, we're talking about things that have entered our lives and things that have, have exited. But they just came out with a book that I just got for Christmas that, that uh, documents all of their touring. And it's this massive tome. And I'm actually looking at it right now. Uh, and it's I can't wait to, to, to dive into this thing, man. Um, I said my wife got it for, for me, or I should say Santa got it for me for Christmas, and I can't wait to dive in. But August, uh, Rush played their their final show, but that same week was the very first episode of this very show, again, uh, featuring Diamond Dallas Page. And I encourage you to... The show has gotten so much better So uh, since then. This is, our I think, our 91st episode. Um, so over 90 episodes... We've only gotten stronger and better, but um, that first one has its own, own charm all its own. So if you're up for it, check it out. But uh, talk about things coming and going. Uh, in November, uh, we all know what happened with um, uh, the the Paris attacks, the terrorist attacks. And but on stage were uh, some friends of mine, uh, the band Eagles of Death Metal. When I should say friend, I should say friend. There's a guy in the band that has been a long, long time friend of mine for over 25 years. He's one of the most beautiful people and amazing human beings inside and out. Outside of all this and the music industry and bullshit, he and I uh, have a real friendship. His name is Dave Ketching. And um, and I was so happy that they were able to survive just an unthinkable, an unspeakable tragedy. Uh, I actually just today... Because when I was putting the notes together, uh, I knew that Colin Hanks uh, had made a movie about it uh, um, called uh, Our Friends, Eagles of Death Metal. And I realized I'd never seen it. And so I bought it today. And so earlier today, I watched like the first 20 minutes of it. It's very heavy. And, you know, I go way back with Josh Homme and, and, and Caius and all that kind of stuff. So... Uh, anyway, uh, I won't go too much into that because it's not only is it very, very sad and very intensely sad, but again, we already did, we did a tribute show and a fundraiser show that first year that I encourage you to check out in our archives. I play songs from every, Dave Ketchings in like 30 bands. He runs Rancho de la Luna out there in, uh, in Palm Desert. And he is a national treasure and a friend to all of us and a, and a gift to the world. Uh, so I encourage you to check out the Dave Ketching uh, Parish tribute uh, from that year, uh, and then in that later that year, here's kind of some things was we thought that Motley was done. I don't give a shit what people think. I understand what they say about the final tour and oh my god, we shelled out all this money because we thought it was gonna be the last time. Okay, if you're willing to shell out that much money to see Motley Crue, you're actually mad that you're gonna get the chance to do it again. Bullshit. That's where you try to make it about you. 
Did you spend that much money because you wanted to see Motley one last time, or did you want to do it because you wanted to be able to say, I was at Motley's last show? Look, man, you're not done till you're done, and they're not done, and I couldn't be fucking happier about it. Um, I was actually supposed to be at those shows, and I and through a series of of of, um, of events, I wasn't able to, uh, and uh, I had there were some things going on, personal things that were going on, and I had to miss them. But I uh, will not be missing this because they are back, and the first show is in Texas, in San Antonio. Uh, it goes down. June 21st at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. And what a stacked lineup, man. When they were going to come back, they weren't just going to do just another arena tour. This time we're in stadiums, man. Because in the time since then, they came out with that movie, The Dirt, which has just completely introduced them to a whole new generation of people that never got to see them. And i got to be honest, that's exactly what I'm hoping to do with King's X. I'm hoping this movie is going to be so huge uh, and so influential that... Suddenly, the demand for King's X is going to be off the charts and put so many new eyes on them. Uh, so anyway, it's a big stadium tour with Motley Crue, Def Leppard, and Poison. Somehow I've managed to have never seen Def Leppard, so I'm looking forward to that. Joan Jett's going to kick things off. It's going to be a great, great, great tour, and I'm hoping to catch multiple shows of that next summer. Something else to look forward to, as we mentioned, in 2020. Um so that kind of ended uh, 2015. Uh, we 2016, uh, a lot of uh, of things, uh, you know, happened that uh, were not uh, pleasant at all. I talk about you know so many you know good things coming into our life um, with you know of, of technology uh, and things. Uh, like we mentioned, like drones and Google assistants and. Uh, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention was the, the, the retro gaming minis. Dude, like, I for Christmas, I got a Sega Genesis mini and a PlayStation. Could you imagine in 19... I think they say the PlayStation came out in 94, but I, I, it seems like it came out before that. Regardless, could you imagine in 1989 that you're getting the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis? Like, you got them both at Christmas? Like, get the fuck out of here. And that happened to me this year. I got the PlayStation Mini. It's a great way where they have the old consoles. Maybe they bring it back in a very miniature size that has all the games in it without all the kind of the cumbersome things of having the, you know, the, the cartridges and the disc and the bullshit. And you can just plug it into your computer and download all the games and plug it into your TV set and you're ready to rock. And I, I played, um, I set up my PlayStation today and I'm going to be putting together my Genesis, I guess, tomorrow, right? And on the back of my phone, my phone case is a freaking Game Boy. A working Game Boy is a phone case. Everywhere I go, people, I see my phone and go, oh my God, dude, that's so cool. And it's cool enough just because of how it looks. And when I turn it on, I go, no, it actually works. They're like, get the fuck out of here. I'm like, no, it actually works. And not in a black and white, kind of remember those old like watches that had like that little kind of like digital game that was basically unplayable no this is like a full color like the real deal man you know like super mario and all that and it also has the ability to add games and stuff go to retrogamingcase.com that's retrogamingcase.com get one for yourself today can't wait to check out this genesis and i'm having such a blast with the playstation and again i already have the nintendo and super nintendo classic minis and uh so it's kind of become a bit of a collection, right? You know, 
Uh, but again, uh, heading into uh, 2016, uh, again, we have a year and episode that, that covers a lot of this, but man, it was just blow after blow after blow. Uh, David Bowie passed away in January. I would say that his final album, Black Star, would probably make uh, my, one of my albums of the decade. Uh, March, a few uh, months later, Fife Dog uh, from my beloved Tribe Called Quest passes away. And um, it's hard for me to even to say this uh, still. Uh, is, uh, you know, it, in April of that year, uh, hands down, my greatest influence uh, of life uh, is Prince, man. Prince Rogers Nelson, my main, main man. We did four episodes uh, chronicling each decade uh, that he was in his human vessel here on Earth uh, in the gifts that, that we received from him. I did uh, most of them with my sister because she's the one that turned me on to Prince way back when, and we just mentioned about Christmas. And holy cow, dude, Santa Claus has gifted me. Uh, their estate has just, re re has just reissued 1999 as a 10 album, 10 LP, 2 DVD box set monolith monstrosity that we're going to be, I haven't even opened it yet, man. We're going to be unboxing it. I'm going to be filming it for Tricky Kid TV. I cannot wait to bring this thing out. And because I'm a, you know, a Prince fanatic, a collector, an authority, a obsessive. So usually when they do these things, it's like, okay, maybe most of you haven't heard these so-called unreleased songs, but the bootleggers or the collectors um, have had those songs for years. It was kind of like when they did the Nirvana thing, they were trotting at all these stuff that I, I've had for years and I never really got anything new. And that's kind of been the case for a lot of the stuff that, that Prince's Estate has done so far. But there is stuff I'm looking on the back of this box set that I have never seen before. And it's just insane to think that I'm going to get new music from Prince, period, but new stuff from that era. Imagine squeezing your 1999 album until a couple more songs falls out of it. And uh, that's just unthinkable to me. But And then there's an accompanying book. You know, he tried to do... Uh, he was all ready and excited to write, to finally write his memoirs um, uh, with a guy named Dan. I'm going to butcher his last name, but I think it's Piping Bing. And we hope to bring you uh, Dan on to the show next year uh, in 2020 because uh, he was a very unlikable, uh, unlikely candidate. And in true Prince fashion, he chose Dan because he'd never written a book before. Everybody was like, oh, you're, you have a snowball's chance in hell to get to co-write this book with Prince. You've never written a book. You write for something called the Paris Review that no one's ever heard of. It ain't going to happen. But his agent happened to be somebody that Prince chose. Uh, Dan pretty much just begged this guy to put him on the list. And it came down to Dan and somebody else. And Prince went with Dan. And they got into it, uh, meaning they got into the book, uh, and didn't get that too far. Uh, but uh, we'll see. But anyway, so the book just came out. Uh, the first 50 pages or so are is actually Dan's introduction of how he be, be, uh, begat to uh, work. Basically, uh, the much longer version of the condensed version of the story I just told you in a, in a book called The Beautiful Ones. And I got that for Christmas. So... Um, and I just started it. I got to tell you something. I really don't think that I still have properly grieved Prince is passing. 
it's so unthinkable to me. He's been this constant in my life, in this influence, in this presence. Uh, I should have mentioned back in 2011 when he did the 21 nights at the forum. Dude, I was out there for like five nights and would have been there for all 21 if I could have. Uh, it's just unthinkable to me that, that, that this alien, this this magic creature, this magical being, and magic is actually his least favorite word, by the way, so I should say this funk incarnate um, was gone. It's just he's not, he things that are applicable to us mere mortals are not applicable to him. So it was unthinkable that this had happened. And I've never properly grieved it. I almost kind of sometimes forget. I went through a very brief period where it was difficult to listen to his music. But that was really about it. It's just, it's unfathomable to me until I started reading the book a couple of nights ago. And Dan says something that is so unbelievably sobering that I was boo fucking hooing would tear. Like it finally came out. And it finally felt final and real that Prince is gone, uh, at least in his human form. Um, and, uh, you know, I was thinking about something that uh, actually about Motley that Vince Neil said today. He was oddly, uh, I should say oddly, I hope it's not oddly, but um, gosh, I was at a Catholic church on Christmas, on Christmas Eve this year uh, with Christmas Mass uh, with my uh, wife and her family who were Catholic. I am not. Uh, but anyway, uh, there to be supportive and, 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 uh, and, and inclusive. But anyway, uh, right now, uh, Mike Wolf, the guy that does the show American Pickers, he tweeted a picture that he was in church on Christmas Day and unthinkably, he's sitting next to, to an almost unrecognizable Vince Neil. And he said, look, it's a miracle. I got Vince Neil to come to church or whatever. And I don't think he did. I think he just happened to see him there. And and when somebody asked him, he said, Vince, are you, I didn't realize, are you religious? He said, I'm not religious. But if you ever seen the movie The Dirt or you know the story, you know, unfortunately, that Vince Neil suffered literally, I believe now as a parent, the absolute worst thing uh, that anybody, uh, I I any human being, a, a pain that I just, at a proximity, I feel in the the soles of my feet and the 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 feet of my souls is losing a child, and as and he lost uh, his daughter uh, at a very young age about twenty five years ago, and he and her name was Skylar. He said, "I don't believe in in uh, I'm not a religious person." He goes, "But I do." He goes, "But I believe." He goes, "But he goes, but I know that I'll see Skylar again." He said, I've seen her since she's passed, so I know that she's somewhere, and I will see her again. And, uh, you know, I just, I guess I kind of always had kind of felt that way about Prince. It just, it seemed like, uh, you know, I didn't even know, I've never, I've never met him, I never, you know. Um, but uh, but reading that passage from Dan, and in a good way, I, I almost want to grab my book and quote it to you. Uh, he talks about what happened to him when he first heard the news, because he had just talked to Prince a couple days before. They're working on a book together. And he's on a Metro North train headed up to Connecticut when the, the text messages start coming in. And the way that he frames it in this passage of the book uh, is just absolutely perfect. So it, it, it really hit me uh, in a way that kind of is starting to really allow me to start to grieve, um, but painful nonetheless. So again, David Bowie, Fife Dog, uh, and Prince in this one, two, three horrible punch. And then 
Kali, um, as the hits just keep on coming, uh, Sharon Jones, if you've ever gotten into Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, somebody who I think about every single day, uh, she was always so kind to me. Um, a Christmas show that she did with Charles Bradley that we ended up um, unfortunately losing the next year in 2017. Um, the Dap Tones record label did a, a, a great review. The only time I've ever been to the Apollo Theater. And I and show was sold out. It was the day of the Eric Garner riot. It was pouring down raining. I didn't have any money, hardly at all. And this guy took mercy on me and said, if you buy me a beer, come on in. And it's one of the greatest nights of my life. And uh, I have pictures with me with uh, with Charles Bradley and, and, and Sharon and all that. Uh, but something a little bit personal uh, had happened. Um, again, I mentioned about not going to the, those Motley shows. Was that I had a, a pretty pretty bad breakup um, during that time. But you know, but here's what's so funny about it is that here is where uh, another maybe delayed middle finger, or at least maybe clearing up a little something, is I was in this relationship for like three years, right? From 2012 to 2015. And it's not that I didn't care about this person or whatever, but I really think that people thought, when I say people, I'm meaning my, my mom and family, and at the time, uh, my best friend of like 30 years. Because I don't think I made the mistake, but I may have given them the wrong impression. So it's no fault of their own that they may have gotten this impression. But when the relationship ended, I expressed kind of a uh, out-of-character amount of emotion, meaning that I wept in front of them. And I think that they thought, whoa, like he must have really cared for her, really loved her, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying I didn't care for this person and all that kind of stuff. But what the deal is, is that I was just angry with myself. I would, I knew that this relationship was wrong and not right for me and not part of my future, probably in the first, God, six months. Why I allowed it to go on for three years, um, I got to be honest, that's what I was mourning. And I don't know if I've ever had, and I, and I could tell my mom that. But I can't tell that to my friend of 30 years because, again, try to make this so personal, but I may never get a chance to say this to this person. So, again, this is my platform. I doubt they're even listening and whatever. But for my own sake and for my own um, posterity, I'm going to say this. <clears throat> so not only in the space of, of less than a year, I my relationship of three years had ended. We lose David Bowie, Fife Dog. And then my greatest inspiration ever, Prince, who I should also mention that we also do a Prince episode since then every year on his birthday, celebrating his life, not his death. And uh, <clears throat> and then, of course, we lose Sharon Jones. Uh, and then, and this is the only mention I'll mention about this, is this whole nonsense with our current presidential situation bullshit that has just been this unrelenting nightmare for three and a half years began in that November. So all of this horrible misery and heartache is happening. And then something happened that December because the relationship ended, like I said, in the previous year. 
and uh, earlier that year, like in March for my birthday, I was all set about five dying and all that. And my 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 oldest friend of 30 years, who had actually had ghosted me one time before for five long years, came to pick me up, cheer me up about the breakup and and Fife and Bowie and all this stuff. And I hadn't seen him really since Christmas. And we went to go have a couple of drinks. And I guess, I don't know, I we he and I, when we get together, we're like little kids because we've known each other since we were little kids. And his wife has always, for whatever reason, taken exception to our friendship. She's always felt threatened by it. I don't know why, not because we're like about to fuck each other, but it just I think that she wants to make him be able to make him laugh the way that I do or or she witnesses our bond. And I think that she just wants to have that bond. And for whatever reason, she doesn't feel it the way that she sees that what we have. And I've been nothing but a great friend to also her and their children. Before I became a parent, I uh, didn't have any children of my own to spoil, so I always spoiled their, theirs. And spoiled them I did. Um, unrelentless, you know, uh, as much as I could, you know. Well, anyway, um, so, <clears throat> whatever, we go out for drinks, and he and I are buzz and laughing, and for whatever reason, in her crazy, paranoid mind, she thinks we're laughing about her which is insane, right? And uh, I don't know, a few months go by and I realized that she is like um, excommunicated me on social media and whatever. And and I was kind of stunned by it. And then Motley is our, mine and his thing. And so Motley was coming out with a movie about their final tour called The End. And we went to the movie theater to see it. And it was a little weird. I don't know, it was like, I could feel some weirdness between he and I. And I couldn't quite place it. And then, like, his birthday is that September, and we were supposed to get together, and we didn't. So we always get together on Christmas. And by Christmas time, uh, I still hadn't seen him, I don't think, since the movie in June or whatever. And instead of getting together for Christmas, it was like, hey, we're going to do things a little bit different. Meaning that him and Colin, uh, I shouldn't say names, I'll scratch that name out. Um, Him and his son... Uh, were going to come to my house, which means that because I guess I wasn't welcome at their house, and uh, and I was also and I guess I think they, they also have a daughter who was I guess was busy whatever. Anyway, so they come to my house and it was the weirdest thing ever. Like I I can't even begin to understand it. He and I are so close and have been so close. The minute he comes in, it's very he's just it's very tense. He seems just like he doesn't want to be there, or he just heard something on the way there that made him. I, I don't know. It was, it was the my mom was there, and she was. She was. He was just. He wasn't himself. I don't. I don't. I can't explain it. Well, by the time we got to, I made a big meal, and I'd had the guys in Clutch had given me some of their own signature beer that they had partnered with Fat um, New Belgium. And I got in the new Metallica record on vinyl. And so by the time that happened, we're buzzed and eating. And, and now now we're doing our thing again. Uh, and, you know, and we're hugging and I love you, man, and the whole bit. But I knew it when he got into the car and we said goodbye that night. I knew it. I was like, I'm not going to see him for a while. I, I could feel it. I could just feel it. And again, in about uh, 2002 or three. Uh, you know, my previous breakup, I had, I dated this girl back in 2003 and, and we broke up and 
and his wife declared that their loyalties lied with my girlfriend of six months versus his friend of that point of about 20 years. Uh, isn't that a fair trade-off there? But what do you do? I mean, that's his wife. What do I tell him, right? You know? Anyway, so he had ghosted me for about five years. And anyway, uh, so so now when he got into the car, this is 2016, about to be 2017, I knew it, man. I, I knew. And so in the space of a year, I, my, my relationship ends. My friendship of 30 years ends. Or at least I, you know, I guess it has. I, you know, bro, if you're hearing this and you're out there, you know, I would think that you have to know because they're still, they still, uh, I guess, talk or follow my other family uh, on social media. You would have to know that I got engaged and then I got married and I had a child. And the fact that this has meant nothing to you, at least enough to pick up the phone and call me or message me or or even extend some sort of well-wishing through a fucking carrier pigeon. The fact that you have not done anything, you, you both get both of my fucking middle fingers because I've been nothing but great friends to both of you. You guys have been married for like 23 years now and I've been good to both of you and I was good to your children and spoiled them. And I'll tell you something else. I don't think or believe that, check this out, I went out of my way and got them one direct, her, their, their daughter tickets to see One Direction that was sold out. And I don't believe that they actually went. I don't believe it. I think that she somehow convinced her daughter, these aren't great seats and we should sell them and then you can get this other great stuff or whatever. Because there were no mention of the concert when I gave her the ticket, she screamed and called her friends and was excited. And now, six months later, the night of the concert, there's you radio silent about this huge event on social media. I'm calling bullshit. But, you know, here's the main thing. Here's the main fucking thing out of all of this. And I'll, I'll end this little negative section so we can get into something very, very positive. Is this. <clears throat> Is... Of all people, of all situations that made me go, ha ha, it was, of all things, Taylor Swift's beef with Katy Perry. Taylor Swift said something in some magazine where she says, you know, I guess I'm just a nice person and I'm naive, but it was like, I always thought that Katy and I were, were great friends. And then something happened where suddenly I had this epiphany where I realized like, oh, wait a minute. Like, not only is this person like not my friend, this person has never been my friend. This person has always fucking hated my guts and is always like suddenly, like when you look at it through those glasses, you realize like we have never been friends. It's always been a forcing. I'm not talking about him, but I am talking about his wife. When he and I became friends again, or, or reconvened in 2009, I happened to be on tour with Clutch. We were in Dallas. Him and his brother came to the show. And he spent the next X amount of years really trying to make up for those previous five lost years. You could just tell. You could, you could see it. He had, he had been controlled. He had been led to believe whatever influence for whatever reason. And he took a stand. And, and maybe it's my fault. 
you know, maybe I gave him a reason. Uh, maybe whenever we were hanging out together, maybe I was, I talked too much or I was annoying or I'm still into older music and he's more into being trendy and what's happening now. And, uh, maybe, you know, she's in his ear saying, you know, y'all's relationship was in the past, but this is a toxic person. And I, I don't know why she would think that, but because uh, I've never given her any reason to say that, but I could see her saying it is my point. And again, what do I tell him? To choose me over his fucking wife? Of course not, right? But uh, but in that moment, it was just, I realized that I thought that when he and I got back together in 2009, and suddenly, you know, I'm at their house a lot, I'm there for Christmas, and we're going to concerts, and they're coming to my birthday, and I was still living in New York, keep in mind, until 2013, and I'd come home, and we would spend time together, and she was always, uh, you know, hi, how's it going, and stuff, and I realized that even then, she hated every fucking second of it, and was trying to think of any reason why this should not happen. And I don't know what took her so long or whatever, but blah, blah, blah. But anyway, that's what I will say right now is that I give two fucking middle fingers to both of you because I loved you both. I did the best thing that I could to be a great friend to you, both of you, not just him, but both of you, and to be uh, as good as I could uh, to your children, who I also love dearly, and to no fault of their own. So anyway, uh, so 2016 fucking sucked. And so let's get into the great 2017. Uh, and uh, it didn't happen until November. Uh, but uh, Quicksand, which was a band that we used to really, really, really love, uh, come, came back with their first record in 22 years. And I'm going to play a song from that right now. And we'll be right back with more.
Hey everybody, this is Neil Fallon from Clutch, and you are watching Tricky. Are you, are you watching or listening to this? Uh, you can you can do, you can do both. Okay. <laughs> Tricky Kid TV. Tricky Kid then, TV. Then. We'll All right. I'm always making things more complicated than it has to be. You. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Neil Fallon from Clutch, and you are watching Tricky Kid TV with Roy Turner. Hey there everybody, this is Neil Fallon from Clutch, and you are listening to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. And then we'll do a little clapper thing there, and then we'll do it again for audio, and we'll jump okay. on in. And that was the song, Feels Like a Weight Has Been Lifted. And I tell you right now, that's exactly how I feel after getting a lot of that stuff off of my chest. Because it's something I think about. And for the longest time, I'm the kind of person that blames myself for everything, regardless if I'm wrong or not. And it took me a while to get my strength back because it was such a blow. And now that I've got my confidence and my strength back and have for a while... I'm just like, man, fuck that, you know, like whatever. Anyway, but what a great record. Happy to have Quicksand back in our lives. Feels like a weight has been lifted uh, from the album Interiors. Uh, and it came out in 2017. We're hoping that they're going to be coming back uh, with some new music very, very soon. And again, I mentioned before that Charles Bradley uh, passed in 2017 and so did Tom Petty which was uh, another just unthinkable one-two punch. But in June of that year, I met uh, the love of my life. Uh, and so now I want to bring her into uh, the episode here. So everybody put your hands together for my better half, Jocelyn Hund, who is now Jocelyn Hund Turner. And here she is, my better half, Jocelyn Hun. What's up, babe? Hi, babe. <laughs> so it's been a minute since you've been you've been on the show, and uh, so you know we're talking about our. Uh, not only has this been a big, big freaking year, uh, big two years, but we're now up to 2017. What happened significantly in your life in 2017? I met the love of my life, the father of my baby. And who might that be? It's you. Oh my God, <laughs> it is. So in, so we met in June of that year, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, of course, again, you know, and we will direct people that we do have, uh, you know, our end of year, once again, um, episodes for you know 2017 and we talk about this at length so uh so if it feels like we're skipping over it uh we don't really mean to uh, uh by any means because it's the, it's the biggest things ever happened to us it's just we've kind of covered it but uh but for our decade um recap it's obviously not only the biggest thing that happened of the year uh, uh the decade and of our lives but uh what i wanted to know uh is how did the decade start for you because we met in 2017 so Take me back to 2010. Well, um, I'm lucky to have been doing what I still do back then. Um, but the one thing that was a big thing for me is that I had just moved into this house. Uh, so I became a homeowner, and that was awesome. And um, what else happened? Mm, a couple years later, my uh, boyfriend at the time kind of went crazy on me um so you guys moved into to this house in 2010 
uh, or start of the decade in it, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it was by 2012, things started going a little nuts. Well, no, he's, he was nuts already. <laughs> it was a long 10 years with that guy. Oh, my God. And um, eventually we... So it was certainly a long decade with this guy. Um, and come to find out that he is actually suffering from... Uh, paranoid schizophrenia oh my god (laughs) and it had just come to a head it had come to a point where you could no longer ignore it um and he kind of flipped out and left you know um and i was just such in a grip of his that that was the only way that the relationship could have ended if he had just left and he did so Thank God. <laughs> yeah, you know? for sure, for sure. So, so but when you say grip, because I don't feel like that I have that same grip on you. How do I, how do I get the that, <laughs> how do I get that grip? Or did you have to be extremely manipulative and and mean and uh, oh, well, abusive? <laughs> well, I guess I guess that that, that leaves me out. Then, <laughs> no, right? Yeah, you don't want to do that. Uh, so, uh, when you say left, was it like? Uh, I mean, I mean, can you can you talk about that for a he second? He was having extreme like. Um, episodes you know of paranoia so he was believing that there were things out here that were coming to get him you know um were, 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 were drugs involved at all was it was it was this induced by any sort of like you well know? i've done research and it's said that like smoking a lot of marijuana can um you know kind of make this happen yeah you know if it's latent in you already it'll help help it come out even yeah. more. Yeah. Um, so he was, yeah, smoking a lot of pot. Well, you know, I haven't smoked pot in, God, 25 years, and I only smoked pot uh, on a regular basis for about a year of my life that was over 30 years ago, you know, just kind of a teenage thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I experienced, obviously not, you know, paranoid schizophrenia, but, but I certainly, um, you know, what made me kind of go, yeah, this isn't fun anymore was like the last, you know, the first couple of times I got high, I would, you know, and we were giggling, you know, and <laughs> pissing our pants. But the last couple of times it was like, I don't like how this feels. I can't wait for this to go away. And I felt scared and a little paranoid and kind of mm-hmm. weird and and i don't think that there was anything latent in me i think i'm just always i think I'm a little unique of course but uh but so when he when you say left did he just like like he you like you came out. like you came home and he was gone or yeah like he you know went for a drive and his family is out in colorado he basically went for a drive and didn't stop till he got back to his family home 13 hours later. Oh, my God. So, so when did you hear from him next? Um, I don't know, the next day or something. Um, he called you? Yeah, he was, no, he was just, because he had dropped me off at one of my concerts. Um, no, and then I went to work the next day, and he left while I was at work. We we were just talking before, you, of course, you came on about how, how I'd been ghosted, you know, by by my best friend. But that was kind of a obviously a a, a tragic uh, thing. That uh, how about you? Were you did you kind of have a feeling when he dropped you off that that you might not see him again for a no, while? No, absolutely or it was a total, not. Total surprise. Complete surprise. But it was a was it a relief? Very much so. Immediately, or were initially you were upset? I was immediately relieved. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was still having those lingering feelings of like, oh, well, I should support him through this, you know, and all that. Um, but it happened like right before the holidays and the holidays for us were always 
really stressful because um, he would like pick a fight, pick fights with my family and just make things awful during the holidays. Well, we just had, of course, a holiday season. How would you say that the holidays now compare? Oh, they're amazing now. <laughs> <laughs> and why is that? Because you're fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, you know, uh, and our, our listeners know how much I love Christmas. And, and now that we uh, are together and married, and we just had our first holiday uh, season as a married couple. And, and uh, it was so great that, you know, seeing Miles starting to be able to enjoy it more and all that. But mm-hmm. um, so if you were immediately relieved, how long do you think? I mean, what, do you think you were ever truly in love with this person? I think so. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot that we had in common, and but just I mean, I mean, I mean, this that you know, when I look back on my life, I realized that I might have like fallen in love a couple of times, and or what I thought was, or or later on, I realized, golly, I, I mean, no disrespect to anybody, but I realized that I, I, I mean, there was somebody I spent several years with that I had trouble remembering like her last name, like if I, I mean, I, I really don't even remember. I mean, it, it's. You know what I'm saying? Like, like in hindsight, she meant nothing to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, this was, of course, you know, back in the, uh, in the, you know, the, the mid '90s. But um, what, when you look back on that, tell me how you feel. Like, like I mean, does, because do you feel like you truly love this person? At one point, yeah, you, you were in for love sure. with them. You yeah, love them? Okay. absolutely. But if you were immediately relieved, how much sooner or before he left do you felt like you had fallen out of love with him? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we started having real problems, like, like maybe a year or two after we got together. And, um, you know, and then it would just seem like things would get better, and then it would get worse. And then, it would, well, maybe they're getting better, and then it would get worse, you know? But so, if he hadn't left, how much longer do you think you would have been able to? Because, I mean, you took 10 years. I know. I don't know. So do, do you think if he hadn't left, do you think you, you would still be in that situation? I think something would have had to give. Like, there was, there's no way. Yeah, it was already, like, starting to. Because I was also seeing a counselor, and she was helping me, you know, like, get through it and mm. figure out, like, this is not cool, you know. Yeah, but what what made this person worth it though for for all those years? I mean, like, I mean, like, what what made you so, point, so dedicated? At some point, you know, it's just manipulation and um, you know, abusive relationships. It's like I guess like Stockholm syndrome, and, right? Sure, and sure. all that. And if any of our listeners are are currently in a situation like this right now. Uh, we both want to encourage you, get out of it. Don't wait for the other person to leave. Don't tell yourself or pretend that things are, are going to get better. If, 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 it's, if it gets to, to this level and this point, uh, it's time for you. And a lot of people are, are scared to do it, especially if they're a female and they're uh, afraid of their partner, maybe they're afraid of, he, of, of his reaction or, or what would happen. Uh, there are means to get help. Uh, I, I encourage you, and we'll have uh, some links actually on our website and at the end of this program. Uh, so you know some some numbers you can call uh, in case of an emergency. And I I'm so glad that you got the hell out of that. Uh, Me too. <laughs> uh, and so so what. After he left, your life started. Did your life started getting immediately better, or what? Walk walk me through. Two thousand. <laughs> so was this when he left? Would he leave during the holidays, two thousand and twelve or two thousand and eleven? Thirteen. It was the holidays, 
October the, 2013. Okay. So now it's now the holidays, January now, 2014. Did your life start getting better immediately or were you waiting for me uh, uh, three, year, <laughs> three years, three and a half years later? Well, it was definitely a lot better because life with that guy was so hard. Um, you know, I mean, he was paranoid. Like he would accuse me of stuff all the time and I was deeply offended all the time. And, you know, when I'm deeply offended, it's not a pretty sight. <laughs> no, I've been on the other end of that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, um, uh, so yeah, it was just not easy. And so when he was gone, of course, everything was so much smoother for me. But six months later, you were actually kind of back in a new relationship, weren't you? I mean, wasn't it kind of yeah. strange to go from being with somebody for 10 years and then just six months later, you're now back into a relationship? Yeah. I guess that's my personality type. I like to have be in a relationship, <laughs> right? So, so, so did uh, I mean? But, so, but is committing to people that you barely know seem to be like a latent motif for you, or no? I feel like <laughs> I have decent judgment and character. Well, this one lasted almost uh, almost three years. Yeah, you and me. I'm talking about the the the. the the rebound. The rebound. It's a long rebound. Most of my rebounds last three days, right? <laughs> you know, maybe 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 an extended weekend or something. You know, yours <laughs> lasted three day, uh, three years. Yeah. But uh, so so two uh, important people, uh, you know, were, for better or for worse, uh, left your life this decade. Uh-huh. So why don't we talk about something uh, the internet? So we, um, of course, we met in June. Of, of 2017 again just a few mere months after your your three-year rebound yeah ended so i was that, on a mission so there was like a small <laughs> little window of opportunity there uh, that, that people were kind of like oh my god she's already back in it i mean how, how many people that, that that i feel like that work with you in the orchestra or your teacher because i mean you know you're hot and you know people think of you as hot and so you're with this crazy guy for 11 years. Then you're with this other kind of boring guy, right? It was like, totally what I needed, though. Yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but, but boring, right? Sure. And so what I'm, I say that because people are probably kind of going, man, she's not with the right dude. I need to get in there, right? Okay. <laughs> and so I just think how many people who, who work with you, like when at the orchestra and at the, at the music store where you teach your lessons and all that, how many of these people are dying to bang you right <gasps> they all are that's I mean, so crude it is but i'm saying they're all in love with you okay they all they're all in love with you okay i mean how could they not be right and so then they're thinking oh my god after all these years she's finally single i'm gonna like Henry Rollins said, I'm going to move right in right okay i don't think people even knew had a chance to know that i was single like I don't know. Okay, so it's That's even how fun- fast it went. <laughs> so it's even funnier to me because then it's kind of like then they find out that you're you had switched boyfriends and they're like, oh my god, I never got the chance to step, yeah. to step in there. <laughs> That's the way I like it. <laughs> I don't want to be pursued. I don't like that feeling. Uh, uh, okay, so <laughs> so then, uh, but but then, so what was it? So that made you ready to make such a uh, a deep commitment to me uh, so soon. Well, why not? You're pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to think so, and I I think our, uh, our listeners would agree with you. At least I hope so. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, but then, of course, we found out we were pregnant uh, by the end of, of that year. Uh, and then, uh, then enter 2018, uh, somebody new entered our lives. The most beautiful little boy. In the world. In the world. Who just started in his first commercial. Then, uh, if you're currently in... Uh, the South uh, West region of the United States, and you see a pizza chain called Mr. Gems. When you're watching it, and you're thinking to yourself, "My God, that kid is good looking. <laughs> that that good looking kid is our good looking kid." Uh, Miles is a king, and so that now brings us to 2019. So talk to me about this year. Um, obviously, something big also happened in June of this year. Uh, but, but, but walk me through your year as an individual. Like, tell me, tell me what were some of the things you felt like you might have accomplished or what were some of the highlights for you this year? I survived the first year of our baby's life. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had a, a wedding. <laughs> And, and, uh, and, and so, so this is now the 2019 re recap episode. You know, there, there is one for 2018, but of course, this is now the 2019 recap. So, yes. So we started the year, uh, let's see, January through May. Anything significant besides surviving miles? <laughs> yeah, just surviving. Uh, this, the multiple wake-ups during the night and... Just be learning how to be, learning how to be parents, learning how to yeah. be still be a you know a functioning couple and parents and, yeah and um you know what what did i always say to you i always said before four miles was born what did i always say to you we can't lose sight of each other and do you feel like at any point that we have no ever no <laughs> you don't sound very sure in fact i think my listeners might kind of go she didn't sound so sure there well because you were like questioning me like ever like i already said no <laughs> but, and then you would say Planting seeds. Yes. <laughs> okay, so in June, what happened? We got married. Almost on Prince's birthday. We tried. We <laughs> I don't know when Prince's birthday is. Of course you do. We tried to get married on it. it yeah, we did. <laughs> but we didn't. We uh, got married on a different day. Uh, we, we were just... Uh, Two days shy, but uh, we tried and uh, and and check it out. So and didn't didn't Prince played a bit of a role in our wedding? Whenever we went to uh, whenever we were at the reception and and you know hey everybody please welcome Mr. and Mrs. Roy Turner. We came down to the opening song from the, the movie Under the Cherry Moon for the album Parade, Christopher Tr Tracy's Parade. Mm -hmm. And then me and my mom's first song, we danced to Alexa D. Paris from that same album. Yeah. And many a Prince track was, uh, I, we shook our booty to many a Prince track during the fun reception. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me what, what, what are, are, is your greatest memory from our wedding? Um, walking down the aisle. <laughs> that yeah. was awesome. I, not awesome, but just like so full of expectation and like, oh my God, this is the moment. It's happening. Ah. <laughs> and when you came, th when you guys, when you opened the door and you guys came through the door, it was like, I wasn't really, you know, I don't get nervous. I wasn't nervous until then. 
And when he started coming towards me, I was like, holy shit. Because we know you're hot. We know you're good looking. She's <laughs> My wife is gorgeous. Everybody knows it. But you look like a freaking movie star. I, I was like, there's this movie star that is coming towards me. Maybe I'll get her autograph. Oh, wait. No, she's coming up here to marry me. I'm going to get to like kiss her in a few minutes. <laughs> like My heart was racing. Um, any, was there anything that didn't live up to your expectation at the wedding? Let's not talk about it. No, <laughs> just kidding. Anything at all? Um... No, I mean, it just went too fast. Yeah. And, and everybody says it. I was like, well, that, that might have happened to you, but not to us. Because I didn't want to be those people who, who's like, you spend your entire actual wedding entertaining as compared to enjoying. Mm-hmm. And it's just this stressful thing that you don't actually enjoy. You're just so busy doing everything. And I was like, no way, man. I'm going to enjoy this. And they were so right. I was so stressed out. Mm-hmm. And there was so much to do, and we had we have a couple of pratfalls. Our DJ, that's somebody we could give a middle finger to, right? That's <laughs> uh, an open one there. Uh, you know, I only wanted people at the wedding. Uh, you know, we had, she had such a big family that, um, you know, I was only going to be able to invite a very, you know, small amount of people, and, and I, I wanted the people that were closest to me. Uh, and I had known somebody uh, for a long time, Um uh, golly, since back in like 96, 97. And uh, it's a, she's a DJ and awesome. And, and I thought, man, this is perfect. And I'm not going to, you know, you know, expect anybody to work for free because she did would be working. But everybody was there. There was a musician friend of yours that was in the quartet during the ceremony that plays with the Dallas Symphony Orchestra for big bucks. Okay. Yeah. But... He loves you, and we... Is a good person. Is a good person. And again, we, we wouldn't like that, you know, we, we were trying to lowball him. He wouldn't have taken a dime if we if we had begged him to take it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not what we were looking for, trying to lowball anybody. But it's like, I'm not going to invite anybody at the wedding that I have to negotiate with. And you certainly wouldn't think that somebody that I've known, you know my entire adult life that all my friends know like like i mean like they wouldn't like you know she wouldn't know anybody but me everybody that was there you know tony and ryan they all know her right Mm -hmm. and i couldn't believe it that two days before the wedding Mm. she was she was and she's always been a little you know in, in in fairness she's always been a little eccentric uh seemingly somewhat unstable is an unfair overarching statement but there's always been kind of that like she's she's a little wacky you know she's kind of got that um i don't know like like female art school teacher kind of vibe you know you know kind of crazy cat lady kind of vibe a little bit right <laughs> and so anyway and I, I but i couldn't i was completely and basically she told me two days before the wedding that like no i need all of this money Otherwise, no way. And we're and even she even said we're not really friends. Like she basically told me that we're not really friends. Like 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 you know this would maybe be a thing to do if we were actually friends. But since we're actually not and really have never have been, uh, you need to pay me as if I was a complete stranger. Yeah. And so I mean that was and she did this two days before the wedding. Yeah. No, you should do that like two months before the wedding. Right. Right. So anyway. So. Uh, Two giant middle fingers 
Uh, I'm, you know, so this is somebody who has now left uh, my life, who I guess was never really in it, I guess, right? So, but you know what? The show went on, and I, I endless thanks to my dudes, Deedle and Dwayne, who came through. They're both professional audio engineers. We had all the music, we had the gear, and they stepped in and stepped up and made that shit, got that shit popping proper. And,. That bitch wasn't even missed, okay? Uh, but, you know, that's just the nature of, of, of I guess, wedding. Something that was bound to go wrong. And then we tried to go to uh, Iceland uh, for our honeymoon, uh, but something actually kind of, you know, lemon. We, we got some lemonade out of that. Talk about that for a second. So, yeah, since there was a big storm, there were some flights that got canceled out of Dallas, which caused us to miss our flight, our connecting flight to Iceland. Um, so we missed that, but um, once we decided to go camping in Arkansas, we were able to visit um, something that was really important from your childhood, and that was very special. Something, uh, I mean, without sounding exaggerative, uh, life-changing. I mean, I guess your honeymoon's supposed to be, but, and this was in a very unexpected sort of way. Um, like she mentioned, one thing that was kind of cool was we also didn't leave for a week, and all your family had come from all over the world were still in town. So it was almost kind of like a blessing. Yeah. Because they were here and we were would have been gone. So instead we got to spend a week with all these uh, Canadians from Toronto while the Raptors won the uh, the NBA championship mm-hmm. for the first time. And and then, you know, you had family from the Philippines and Australia and, and I mean, all over the world. Mm-hmm. And then we just rented a very, very nice car that inspired us to actually buy one when we got home. Yeah. Something very similar. And we went up to the Ozarks. Uh, Jocelyn is a camping uh, uh, aficionado and uh, an expert, and she has all the gear, and it was just waiting for us. So we did it, and I remember asking, like, you know what? I'd like to come back a different way through Little Rock, where I grew up, and I'm always referencing this place called Grayback. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's an apartment complex that I spent uh, three summers over two years from the ages of, of, of uh, eight to ten, Um uh, from 82 to 84 uh, and it's just that magical time if you know this was this was like my even though I was a little bit a little younger uh, this was kind of like my wonder years you know I mean we moved around a lot and there's other places I lived that might obviously have some significance but uh, but I don't know as, as, as later on in life it's just something that's always been there it's like the one place uh, that exists in my mind as that that place that will always live forever. There will always be that, that magical time. I mean, this was the 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 you know the bed I slept in the day that Thriller came out. You know, mm-hmm. this was the home I came home to when my mom took me to see Return of the Jedi for my ninth birthday. Yeah. You know, um, all these great, great, great things um, from pop culture, and it was just a great time for us. We were very, very poor. Uh, and I hadn't, uh, so we lived from 82 to 84. I have actually haven't even been to Arkansas, period, uh, really, uh, since my grandfather's funeral in 94. And we had moved to Texas in 87, and I only had been up there maybe like once or twice. And then, uh, ironically, do you remember when we were in the parking lot of the Red Roof Inn? I think I told you this already, and we were kind of trying to find a place to eat on our way out, remember? Yeah. Well, uh, some friends of mine, this is since, since, since this is actually the 20 year anniversary of this. Uh, in 1999, not even friends actually, me and uh, my kind of first like real relationship, um, 
even though we were very young, uh, we took a road trip to New York City from Texas to be in Times Square, like as we as you as you saw like you know a few days ago when we watched it on TV, like it's it's misery. We don't know this at the time, right? Anyway, we drove all the way up there with some people we didn't really know and didn't really get along with after a while. But anyway, uh, I had fallen asleep very early in the trip. And I was dreaming, and I wasn't dreaming about, for some reason, 1999 in New York, where I'd never been before, in Times Square, the Millennial Celebration. I was dreaming about Grayback. I was dreaming about that area. And and, and I actually was dreaming about Gar Springs Road and... Um, and uh, right there on the on the corner there, and they just so happen they don't know anything about this part of, of my life or or you know uh, that I was from there in whatever they just happened to stop at that gas station, which is right across from the Red Roof Inn that you and I were were at right, mm-hmm. and it you know people getting out of the van had woken me up, so it was so strange to have been dreaming about this place. Mm-hmm. In 1999, that I hadn't been to at that point in about you know ele- you know um, well like 13 years and 13 years at age 25 is a long is a long time right you know right. Uh, and then suddenly wake up and be there so I so I can say I actually was there in 1999 but I really wasn't it was just long enough to stop and get gas and and on we went but for the next hour I was just trying to tell them like you don't understand like this is where I'm you know and nobody gave a shit. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so it took, you know, um, what, 20 additional years to get back there. And it's just so neat for me because I'm always talking about great back and it's so unthinkable to me to think that you were there. Yeah. You know, like, 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 I don't have to go, well, see, great back was this. No, it's like, you've been there. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that, you know, that is so uh, crazy and I feel like I could write a book about this but but we actually were able to enter the apartment that yeah. was what was crazy uh-huh. and yeah, and you know and not to mention that too but we had heard that you know the place was in a very very dangerous neighborhood and that was confirmed once we were there and and if I have any like, like I have to be nothing but positive about it because the fact that it happened at all is magical mm-hmm and so grateful and so fortunate that we were even, were even there. Then, when like some sort of like miracle, the the you know out of all, it was only one apartment that was open. Yeah. And it was ours, apartment three. It was yeah. like it was calling me. Yeah. You know, and and you know, and so just to be able to be there enough, and then actually go inside. But then on the other hand, it was like we had the we had we had. $5,000 worth of mountain bike equipment hanging from the back of our car, like outside of our car on the, on the bike rack. Mm-hmm. We'd heard it was a horribly dangerous area. I couldn't believe it that it actually was, you know, not abandoned, but there was nobody living there. It was just now reopening. Yeah. They were now re, um, what do you call it when you do the... Renovating. Renovating. There was one person that lived in one apartment. I still don't understand why. Why was there one person that lived there? I don't know. Well, she looked like she, you know, wasn't. She was an older lady. She couldn't walk very well, and I don't know. Maybe yeah. she had a personal relationship with the owners. But I had thought that if we got to go there at all, here's what I here's what I was expecting. Okay, we're gonna go, and it's gonna be so dangerous that we can't even get out of the car. And mm-hmm. like, hey, babe, that's that's Grayback. 
right? In the back of my mind, I also feared that, that it wasn't going to be there. And mm. I don't think I could have handled that emotionally, right? And and so the fact that it was even there, was that, that was good enough. Check, right? But then I thought it's going to be so dangerous that we can't get out of the car. Uh, and then if we do get out of the car, there's going to be... You know, I didn't. I didn't know it wasn't inhabited. I was thinking, you know, there's 200 apartments, or say, say there's 75 apartments here. They're all going to be full of people and activity out in the middle of the courtyard. And who are these people? And you know, uh, obviously, you know, we're I'm Caucasian, you're Asian, and this is a very, very poor African American area now that, you know, uh, the fact of life is, you know, there's not a racist bone in our body, but we might not have been entirely welcome. Yeah. You know. Uh, and then come to find out that there was nobody there. Yeah. So we got the best possible scenario that we got to enjoy almost like a museum. Right. Right? It was and, odd. Yes, it was like it was meant to be. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then the, the one apartment that opens is, was mine, yeah. and we got to go in there. Yeah. I still can't believe that it happened. But the entire time while I'm in there, all I could think about, though, other than what I was enjoying, was now if somebody does come here... We're trapped. Yeah. Right? Like, now, we got a problem if somebody, you know. So, when I look back on that, I'm just so eager to, like, to go back. Like, maybe nobody's moved in yet. And, like, you know, and, like, <laughs> I have to write this script. I Maybe I could rent the place for a month. And, uh, you know, and, and this, this will be my retreat, you know. and uh, But I'm just saying, like, all I could think about was now, if, if somebody were to come here, we are cornered. We can't run to the car now. And it just sucked having to have that hybrid of like this gr- my greatest dream has come true because it's been on my mind since since 85 to you know to go it, it wasn't like it was something that became nostalgic to me recently it's been on my mind almost since we left because sure. it holds such a such a purpose for me right mm-hmm. so that's the only thing is I really wish that I didn't have to deal with that and then we actually heard voices and I freaked out. And it was the sister of the girl that lives there. And she had told us what? That the reason why it was open is that somebody tried to break in the night before. Yeah. So so, so those fears were actually realized. Yeah. Um, And so we kind of had that, like, we should probably get the fuck out of here. I mean, Mm. also, we were also trespassing, but... But just to be back in that kitchen again, mm. you know, it's hard not to get emotional right now, but like just to be back in that, that, that kitchen. And then, uh, and right now, uh, I just posted some stuff and you can, can see it on our, on our website and also on, uh, our Facebook page. Uh, I found a picture of, uh, I'm actually looking at it right now, of Christmas, uh, from 1982. Uh, and the tree that was in that corner right there in that house. And what the, and there's a gift that I'm opening, which is a G.I. Joe Mobat tank and where is that mobat tank right now jossie it is sitting on your desk as we speak right, we're looking at it right now so uh so i, I married uh, my soulmate and love of my life and i got to return to grayback this year mm. uh what a way to uh and then for this decade uh yeah i'm now a filmmaker and a successful podcaster and I now too am a homeowner and uh, and a parent and uh, and so so many great things. I was even a uh, a uh, I even kind of had a budding uh, wrestling announcer uh, career for a little while. <laughs> it's another middle finger we could uh, we could we could we could point out. And I, I might do that on my own here in a second. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so you know, so 
all of that culminated this year in 2019 mm-hmm. with getting married and being a parent and uh, starting my life and my career and then getting to go back to Greyback. I mean, I have to say the many ways this is the best year of my life. Yeah, it was definitely a great year. Lots of really good things happened. Um, do you? Is there anything you you wanted to add, uh, like previous to us meeting? Like, I mean, what do you what do you feel like that this decade? We now know what the year brought you, but what did the decade bring you? Um, well, it was a decade of transition. Um, I finally was able to let go of a very toxic relationship. Um, I've been in this house now for a decade, and. Hmm. Met the love of my life, so lots of really good things. I would call it a year of transition. Um, I went from not having a lot of friends to having some more friends, and then some friends that had to move away. But that's okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but just life feels much better, like the way it should feel. Well, thank you, my love. That means everything to me, obviously, and and uh, uh, I can't even believe that it's real. But it, but but it is. I, I look across from you, and I I wake up in the morning, and I'm gonna go. That movie star is still in my bed. <laughs> A couple of things that I wanted to add uh, before we get out of here and wrap up this year and decade for good. Uh, is like I said, we have some big, big news to uh, announce at the very end of this program, uh, which I'm so excited to share that me and Justin will be sharing with you. Uh, but for now, a couple things. Like I said, I kind of uh, <clears throat> wanted to f- kind of focus on 2010 to 2014 since they don't have their individual uh, year-end recaps. Um, but, uh, and then of course, obviously, so much has happened in the last couple of years. Again, of course, obviously, Justin and I met in 2017. Miles, our son, was born in 2018, and we got married this year. Um, I asked Justin, I said, January through uh, May, before we get married in June, did anything big happen? And she mentioned a couple of things, but I wanted to mention that uh, a couple of really cool things. Um, one was... That in April, uh, for my birthday, and my birthday is in March, and for eight, uh, for my birthday, she got me like killer, us killer freaking seats for hands down my favorite show of the year of 2019, and maybe one of my favorites of all time, definitely one of this decade and, and any other that I've been to concerts. And you might be surprised uh, unless you are up on our trickykid.com website and you've checked out which i was going to recommend our uh year in top albums of the year each year I, I have so much fun doing this please check that i put so much work into it. i have so much fun doing it and as i always disclaim it's not like these are the top records that you should be listening to because i know everything and pitchfork media and brooklyn vegan hey i i know everything no it's like hey man this is what i, I got turned on to this year that came out this year and I played it the most. Check it out. And uh, so, this, so, so if you've seen that, then you know maybe this will surprise you when I tell you this. But uh, number one on that list was part of this amazing tour called the New Kids on the Block Mixtape Tour. That was so much fun. Um, I talked about this in, in a previous episode, but holy cow. Tiffany, New Kids, my girl Debbie Gibson. And I'm looking at my brand new 2020 Debbie Gibson calendar. 
right now that uh, uh, Santa Claus brought me. Um, and so how, how am I, as a committed Deb head, supposed to face this new year and decade without my brand new Debbie Gibson 2020 calendar? It's just unthinkable, right? I have to see her gorgeous face every day uh, and a new uh, version of it each month. So you can get yours now. Uh, go to DebbieGibsonShop.com, DebbieGibsonShop.com, uh, and get yours today. But that tour was so great. It also included Salt and Peppa and Naughty by Nature, and it was just so much fun. And we got to chat with Debbie um, after the show, and as you know... Uh, a few episodes ago, we actually had a full episode with my, my girl Tiffany, and she's got some great tour dates. We're actually going to go down and see her uh, next in a few weeks down in San Antonio, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, so that was April, and then in May, I saw the tour again when I was in California, but also when I was in California, because I was out there, of course, filming this, this, this film about King's X that will come out, I swear, uh, one of these days, <laughs> definitely this decade. Uh, uh, meaning the new decade, friends. Uh, but then in May, I finally saw the Welcome to Sky Valley sign. I don't know why it took me so long to do it. I've been going out to the Southern California desert. I have lots of friends out there. I have a kindred, just weird connection to it. Uh, anybody that knows me and knows this show knows that Caius is like my favorite shit ever. Um... And so, you know, and my buddy Dave Ketching lives out there. He lives and runs Rancho de la Luna Studios, who on February the 1st at this great little uh, this little roadhouse joint called Pappy and Harriet's, they're doing a benefit for our friend Brian O'Connor, BOC, with his bands Mojave Lords and the Earthlings uh, on February 1st. I, unfortunately, will not be there. Uh, and when you hear the announcement at the end of the program, you'll know why. And I'm sure all will be forgiven of why I'm not going to be there. But you should be there. And I will be in L.A. the week later for the Mr. Bungle reunions. Uh, there's, they're doing four shows at the Fonda Theater, and I will be there uh, at all four. Um, so that was pretty cool. Uh, gosh, uh, the Washington Nationals won their first World Series. What a great baseball season we had in 2019. And great to see the Nationals finally pull it off there. Um, and talk about, about people leaving and uh, and going in and out of your life. Um, I'll get to December of this year in a second, but I, I wanted to to go back just for a second if I could, and then we'll wrap the end of the year decade style, okay? One is that I forgot to mention uh, when I was starting out um, with the 2010s was that, was that my girl Grimes... Claire Boucher, she uh, started us off this decade with two awesome albums, two albums in one year uh, that really changed everything. And, and so much of what we heard later in the decade uh, really kind of came from this just real, you know, dimension shift that she's responsible for. Uh, the albums are called, one's called Getty Primes. It came out in January of that year. And then later on, she did uh, an album called Halifaxa. Uh, she's Canadian, so I'm, I'm, I'm detecting that some sort of play on words for Halifax, Nova Scotia. But anyway, they're both brilliant. And then that, that wasn't even her best record of the decade. Uh, she came out with Visions a couple years later, and, and man, we have we played the hell out of those. Uh, so great. And then... Uh, and then back in 2016, WrestleMania finally came to Dallas. Uh, and how great was that, that we were actually invited guests uh, 
to be there and not even uh, guests of the, of the media. It was We were just actual guests uh, through Cricket Nation and did some social media work for them. I, you guys, we know you probably have heard the episode we did. We flew my flew my nephew down, and but I also started just a few weeks later after that. I actually started my kind of a bit of a wrestling career. Obviously not not in in the ring, but uh, and uh, as a uh, color commentator. Obviously, I'm a born heel. And uh, God, that was so much fun. Shout, big shout out to David Fuller, who was out in Crowley, Texas, where um, that was the town that I moved to when we first moved here to Texas in 87. And he, uh, so it was a great excuse to drive out to Crowley, um, you know, once a month. And he would put on these shows out in Fort Worth. And they, God, they were so much fun. And me and another guy named Tyler Foster, he, uh, we both debuted the same day. And and he and I are polar opposites, which worked out great. We were totally the odd couple doing it. And uh, goodness, man, we did probably a, a dozen or more shows together. And God, it was so much fun. I feel like I've been waiting my whole life to do it because I, you know, I do it anyway when I'm watching the show. And Obviously, I like to talk, and I'd love to be a total shithead, and uh, in you know, in in fun way. So, God, we had so much fun. Lots of videos of us doing it on um, my uh, YouTube channel, which is Tricky Kid TV. Uh, you can see this great Halloween episode where I came out as this character I called Def Halen, where I had like this long blonde wig, and I was wearing the old Joe Elliott uh, from Def Leppard, uh, you know, the Union Jack shirt he wore in all the videos, and. <clears throat> And uh, speaking of Def Leppard, man, talk about something to look forward to uh, in 2020 is the, Mo- the Motley crew is back. Uh, people kind of go, oh, man, we shut out all this money. Who cares? You could not be mad that your favorite band is is back that you spent all that money for. So looking forward to seeing them in 2020. Um, but, yeah, the wrestling career thing. So uh, so that leads me to, to a, a quick, fun little story here that actually doesn't end so fun was it? So after, let's see, so after me and Tyler did these shows, uh, and we did them with a, a veteran of the, of, the, of the format, a guy named Rob Moore, who was a genius and should be globally recognized for what he does. Uh, Rob has Parkinson's disease and was having to kind of step back, and that's actually kind of why we were kind of brought in. And so we only kind of got to work with Rob towards the end of his career there, but uh, man, I cherish the times that we, that we had with Rob. And, uh, and, and, and Rob, if you're listening to this, we, we love you dearly. And I learned so much from you. Um, but anyway, so, uh, then there's a promoter up in, in, in the, the nonstop action town of Ardmore, Oklahoma, uh, named Jerry Bostick. And Jerry, uh, had a promotion. I forget what it was called, uh, beforehand. It was, I, I forget what it was, but, um, I remember it was called Imperial Wrestling Revolution, and he would do some, you know, some pretty big shows down here, and and you know, and was able to, you know, guess he was making enough money that he could bring in some top acts, and kind of what you were watching wasn't anything uh, had any sort of um, continuity to it or any sort of, um, you know, continuity. I guess I should say. Uh, basically, he would just throw a bunch of money at, a, at a, you know, at, at some stars that were available on that day, and just put a big card together, and and it was a way to kind of see kind of a kind of a greatest hits, like almost like a mixtape, mainly wrestlers from the past, you know, and then a, and a few up and comer ones. So they were great shows, and I noticed at the shows when they would do them in Dallas that there was never any seemed to be any sort of like consistent 
uh, announcers uh, or, or, or broadcast people, you know, doing the commentary ringside and all that. And uh, so anyway, so anyway, I reached out to him uh, after um, when the Royal Rumble, the first Women's Royal Rumble was happening and he was hosting it in, was it in Ardmore or Oklahoma City or something like that? And uh, and he had Gail Kim come out, who I'm actually great friends with now. And shout out to Gail Kim, one of the best ever to do it, one of my favorite people in the world. And so we were just kind of hung out and watched the Royal Rumble and had a great time. And so so I reached out to him about it. And he really, he wasn't interested in Tyler joining the the, uh, the team, but he was into what I was about. And also was kind of wanting to bring Rob in too. So... Um, Anyway, so we kind of did a couple of, I guess, what they call house shows in towns in, in Texas that I've never even heard of. Um, you know, like the high school gymnasium type kind of deal and all that. And I felt excited about it, man. And, and me, it was great to be back with Rob. And, you know, we did like three shows together. And and we did a show at some like roadhouse. And I think it was up in Greenville or something, Gainesville, whatever. And... Uh, and it was great, like, like Jr. Like, and, and how nervous could you be? I, I, I grew up, I grew up, of course, like everybody else, you know, watching Jr. Even way back in Jim Ross, way back in, uh, you know, even the Mid South days growing up. Uh, and you know, he's there. And then so is Chavo Guerrero, who apparently is a, a pretty good uh, friend with of, uh, of Jerry's. And yeah, I got to call a couple of matches because because uh, Rob couldn't be, uh, couldn't be on that show again because of his health. And uh, so he's like, hey, you want to do the show with Chavo? And I was like, uh, okay, sure. And so, you know, there I am doing, you know, commentary with freaking Chavo, who was awesome. Great guy. Obviously a legend in the business. Um, and he was so very kind and patient with me. And, I, and I'm, I'm grateful to him for that. Um, but uh, it, it became pretty clear almost immediately, though, after, after the excitement uh, kind of wore off a little bit that it was not a good fit. I don't know if it's, if anybody is a good fit for this Jerry Bostic character, and I'll tell you why. Is because here's what I learned. I don't have one thousand percent confirmation, but from my perspective, it goes something like this. I think Jerry's dad had or family had money. <coughs> Excuse me. And his dad is is passed and left him and his mother all this money. And his mother is very sweet and very kind. And she's always at the shows and she's always very nice to me. And she's very motherly and trying to take care of everybody. And I, and I really enjoyed the time I spent with her. Uh, but it's kind of like a thing where like it's so exciting for her to be around these big names that she probably saw her son being so enamored with as a kid that it's nothing to spend their inheritance, because that's where this money is 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 coming. It's coming from something, because he's not making any money at these shows. You know, he'll come down to Texas and do three shows in three days that are like freaking twelve miles apart, with like no promotion, other than like, hey, Facebook. You know, no billboards, no you know, nary a radio ad, nothing. And I've been to some of his shows where you know ten people showed up. And he's got, you know, easily ten grand of of performance fees on the card easily. So, dude's not worried about turning a profit. It's just it basically is that he gets to spend that money to get to pretend to be this 
top promoter guy who knows everybody. And, and a lot of people have been supportive of him. I guess he pays well. You know, Jim Ross has, uh, you know, been very supportive, a fellow Oklahoma, you know, uh, guy and, and Chavo. And and I guess everybody that, that he has paid to, to bring in, has, was, they were paid right, they were treated well, so why not do it again? But make no mistake about it, friends. He likes to pretend that he's Vince McMahon, and all he's doing is just spending daddy's money, to, you know, to try to buy your respect that he's this guy, and you know, and and he puts himself on the card. I mean, obviously, if he was a real wrestler with real talent, he would have taken a different path. So anyway, so just to tell you how big this dude's ego was, was that I guess it became clear that I was somebody he wasn't going to be able to boss around or control or wasn't enamored. Obviously, I expected to get paid. And I, I guess I should have probably known pretty early on when he asked me to bring my own equipment. So I was like, okay, like, does he want me or does he just want somebody with equipment, right? And it was during the, the big WrestleMania uh, uh, weekend. Um, was it? Hang on. Was it? I guess it was. Was it? Hang on. No, no, I don't think it was. But there was... There was a, a place called, called Eddie Dean's Ranch that's down down there in downtown Dallas, and he was doing a big show, and he has a connection to the Von Erichs, and like the Von Erich, uh, Kevin Von Erich's sons are a big part of it. Those girls are great guys too, and all that. Anyway, <clears throat> and uh, and I and I get there, and it's unfortunate though that uh, I, I can't say that any that even one second that I've spent in and around Jr. has been pleasant. That's the biggest. One of the biggest examples I can give you of never meet your heroes because that dude is such an asshole and such an egomaniac, and I don't give a shit who knows it and uh, or give a shit who or apologize to anybody about it. That dude thinks he is his shit don't stink, and in many ways it doesn't. But there's it doesn't give him any reason uh, to treat and talk to people the way that he does, and, and I I won't have it. And anyway, but there was no conflict. But I could sense something was up with Jerry when I get there. And he walks right by me. Like, I'm even like, I'm trying to like, you know, get his attention. He, it just completely brushes me off. Sure, maybe he was busy, but it was, you know, I, you can't see him doing that to anybody he had any real respect for. And I'd put songs together, like, you know, that I could come out to and, 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 uh, and Rob, and we had all these ideas and, and he just wasn't having any of it. In fact, he was sending a little runner, a little toady guy, you know, to send messages to me. And it's just a fucking worm, right? Oh, anyway. So, needless to say, I, I never got paid. And then there was a finally the, the big the big blowout was a few months later. They were doing a show way up in El Dorado, Arkansas, which is about six hours from my house. And it was a stacked lineup. There's a great believe it or not. There's like a great arts district now there in El Dorado and El Dorado, whatever you want to call it. And I, I was surprised by it too. And I just felt like I needed to be there. And it was, this part's my fault because I should have had everything hammered out. Like, okay, what time do you want me there? What's going on? How much, how much am I getting paid? What's happening? All I knew was he told me to be there. And so I was like, okay, uh, you know, I don't want to miss this. Like Mean Gene Okerlund, rest in peace this year too, by the way, was going to be there. Again, the Von Erich brothers, Tennille Dashwood. And apparently uh, this was going to be a big show. I mean, he, he, he has had some successful shows. I mean, don't get me wrong at all. His Oklahoma shows are big deals in Oklahoma. And in these markets where they don't really get a lot of action, this promised to be, you know, he might have had, you know, maybe even a house as, as close to like, you know, maybe a couple thousand people. 
And so, all right. And then they were going to do it for a TV taping because apparently he had he had somehow had you know with with Chavo coming on board and everything else they were putting this thing together to change the name from Imperial Wrestling Revolution to kind of be the next chapter of the old world class territory once again with the Von Erichs world class championship wrestling was now going to be called World Class Revolution and uh, and was going to kind of have a heavy like Von Erich old alumni from that show presence and and so much so much so that they were able to kind of strike a, a small tv deal out of like joplin missouri or something and it was going to be on at like midnight you know uh on you know one station in one small market but hey one small market is better than no no market at all so i was excited like hey i'm, I'm gonna be you know i'm actually going to break into now to the tv market Okay, so I drive my ass six hours up there, and once again, he completely blows me off when he walks by me. No greeting. There's nobody else around. And I'm like, what What the, what, what the hell is this? And he was like, yeah, we decided that uh, we're not going to do the announcing. Like, like, I mean, didn't even, who the fuck does that? Did not bother to call me, to tell me. It wasn't a decision that he had just made. He already knew it and could and could not be bothered to call me to tell me, hey, don't waste your time with a six-hour drive. I didn't get paid. He didn't even offer to cover my gas. Nothing. This guy is a fucking asshole. And then already, just like a couple weeks later, I found out that like his entire staff walked out on his ass. Um, he was promising hotel rooms to everybody, and I found out later they were like sleeping in the fucking woods and sleep and sleeping back. Just, just, just charlatan amateur hour bullshit. Uh, anyway, and so he goes, but you can go out there and 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 it'll be good practice for you. Oh motherfucker, I I I don't need practice. I've I've been doing at this point. I've been doing it for a couple of years, and uh, man alive, I couldn't believe it. Anyway, um, so what I wanted to say was. Was while I was grateful that I got to you know kind of spend some time with Jack Swagger and his wife Catalina who were awesome, and uh, and uh, like what's the, what's the guy Scott Steiner was there a lot of you know uh, um, Jeff Jarrett was there it was a big show, um, but again our my final uh, double middle finger is to Jerry Bostic and you're in his bullshit. You know whatever promotion that he's been managed to kind of weasel and kind of just dupe people. I mean, just by sheer will and uh, daddy's money, uh, he's been able to do this. And the dude's ego is just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's hard to imagine that anybody uh, this guy person even exists. He's just a fucking cartoon and he's a joke. So anyway, uh, so so that that kind of put a, a sour taste in my mouth in terms of working in the wrestling uh, business. And I've gone back to just being a fan uh, and also covering it from time to time via this show. And we'll be doing exactly that in 2020. We'll be in Tampa Bay, uh, in Tampa, Florida, uh, the week of WrestleMania in April in 2020. And so, uh, you know, so, but again, I'm grateful for the experience. Like I said, that's what this decade brought. I got to be a wrestling color commentator. I always wanted to do that. I'm now a parent. I'm a filmmaker. I'm a podcaster. I'm a photographer. I learned all these great new skills uh, this year, uh, this decade just by being fearless and just not giving a shit, you know? 
So anyway, so I, this isn't me hiding behind radio. I just didn't think I'd ever get the chance to because, again, the guy won't, walks right past me. But that's my middle finger to you, uh, buddy. And um, I'll be happy to tell you exact, exactly that if I ever see you in person and 10 motherfuckers that look just like you. Uh, so to wrap up here, I wanted to say a couple, you know, on a, on a, a couple positive things, uh, to get back to it again, like I said, um, in December, uh, this, the final month of the, of the final year of the decade, uh, Slayer decided to, uh, to call it quits and man, what a great thing uh, we get to be a part of that. And, um, I was just out at the forum to watch them shut that thing down for two very, very big nights. If you go on our website at tricky-kid, I'm sorry, tricky-kid.com, uh, you can see all of, of our coverage of that and all the experience, and it was fantastic. We wanted to give a shout-out to Vaughn Oliver. Uh, he just passed away in the very last days of the month. Vaughn Oliver was a guy who designed all those amazing uh, covers for the uh, English label called 4AD that had the Pixies and all that. Um one of, this didn't happen this decade, but in 2009, the last time I was in London, uh, it was this crazy story I tell on my website about how uh, I was there uh, on tour with Clutch, and uh, I'd heard that the Pixies were playing across town in some, you know, uh, private art gallery show, and then couldn't find out because it was for Von Oliver. He was exhibiting his stuff, and this is a super tight, invite only, you know, kind of deal for just some close friends and family. I mean, as, as, as intimate and as inner circle as it gets, I had no chance of getting in, but I had to try. And long story short, uh, I take a bus over to Shoreditch where they were having it, and I try to talk and bullshit my way in. And as I'm about to, like, you know, lay some heavy bullshit on the guy at the door, unthinkably, I hear somebody call my name. And I was like, this is, this is, this is nuts. This is like candid camera style. And long story short, kind of find out uh, it was a guy I went to school with who was on the road with the Toadies, uh, the Toadies, uh, the Pixies, uh, and recognized me. Uh, so I, I couldn't believe it. He was like, hey, man, you know, and, and got me right in, got to go into the show. Uh, it was crazy. They were walking around with like steno pads and taking requests and all that. All that is on our website as well. I told that story way, 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 way back in the day. But anyway, uh, much love to Vaughn Oliver. Um wanted to say shout out to our cosplayer of the year, Ivy Cosplay. Check out the full spread at TrickyKid.com. We have the 2019 uh, uh, Tricky Kid Cosplayers of the Year. And, of course, our cosplayer of the decade and of the freaking century, uh, our love. Uh, she's so awesome. Joni Brosis, who has been on this program many, many times. Check out our YouTube channel uh, with uh, Joni's episode. You won't dis be disappointed. She is unspeakably gorgeous inside and out and is an amazing human being uh you know if i had to list some of our favorite records of the decade uh first definitely check out again our favorite records of the year i put so much work into that man so please check that out um and it will kind of give you maybe a different perspective on from what uh uh the other kind of year in list are because they're always kind of be the same if you look at all of it it's always the same like cool out trying to cool each other kind of bullshit mine's a pretty honest uh thing there but uh if i had to listen to some stuff for the decade man anthrax came back hard this decade with two of our favorite records worship music in 2011 and they followed up with for all kings in 2016 and from what i understand they've got something coming up here pretty soon as well so that's something to look forward to in 2020 
we started this this very episode talking about the pretty reckless uh, light me up 2010 uh and then tricky's mixed race in 2010 uh and of course who could forget the finally the return of van halen with a different kind of truth we played a track from that again we're going to be uh checking out dave lee roth in las vegas here here in a couple of days very excited about that Funkadelic and Parliament both came out with their first records in like 30-something years. Uh, Funkadelic's record is called uh, First You Gotta Shake the Gate. It's awesome. And then Parliament is called, I think it's called Medicaid Fraud Dog. It's just great, great stuff. Uh, the Ting Tings came out with a record with us all the time. Super Critical. Um, Sounds from Nowheresville. David Bowie's final record uh, in 2016 with Black Star. I even really dig Camilla Cabello's, both of her records, uh, last year and this year. Uh, Fu Manchu came out with two amazing records. Gigantoid, Clone of the Universe. Uh, Chemical Brothers came back hard with a couple records. Uh, Born in the Echoes is something we play all the time. No Geography this year. And of course we mentioned, of course, mentioned Grimes. Lots and lots of great stuff. Okay, so to finally to wrap this up, uh, again, looking forward to 2020. Uh, you're about to hear a big announcement. We mentioned the Motley Tour, uh, getting this King's X movie done, and hearing a new record from them. Uh, we have a we'll have a real we we'll have a teaser available for you on February the first. We're also going to launch the website. It'll be kingsxmovie.com. Lots and lots of great stuff. Uh, the Pretty Reckless are coming out with a new record called Death by Rock and Roll. And lots and lots of great stuff. Again, of course, please subscribe. Go to iTunes. And we are also now part of the iHeartRadio family. Uh, so we're really excited about that. Really excited to start this year and decade off right as being a part of the iHeartRadio family. And we've been so uh, pleased and blessed about how they, how much they have embraced us. So go on to iHeartRadio and subscribe to us. Obviously, we're on iTunes and all the places where you can get your podcasts. You Android uh, users, I didn't say loser, I said user, uh, can uh, on Google Play and Player FM and all those great, great, great places. Uh, again, our website is tricky-kid.com. We're on Twitter under Tricky Kid the number two, Facebook under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. Uh, and now I'm going to bring Jocelyn in for the big announcement. wife back in uh, is a not only so we can uh, is a send off to the tooth it was this this weird decade doesn't even have a freaking name the teens it doesn't sound right you know <laughs> uh, whatever but to send off this decade to send off this year to start this new year and to start this new decade I want to bring her back in uh, not only with some final words and final thoughts but a big as promised a big announcement so, Justin, come on back in here. Uh, so, final thoughts on this decade in this year? <clears throat> um, well, the decade definitely ended much better than it started. And um, and it's still getting even better. So, uh, is it time now to make an announcement? So, brrr, 
so we have uh, told uh, most of our family, some, or at least the ones that are in person, uh, over the holidays at Thanksgiving and, and at Christmas. Uh, but we're, we're going to do this as a one-two punch because this is going to go. We're going to go public with it tomorrow. But how cool is it that you, as a subscriber to Tricky Kid Radio, get to hear it first? And the big news is, uh, we're going to have a baby. Another one. <laughs> baby number two. We got. We met in 2017. Miles was here in 2018. We got married this year, 2019, and here we are, 2020, new year, new decade, and we are going to have baby number two. Yes. Due in May. Look out. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, anything you want, any well wishes, any, anything you'd like to, any messages of hope and, and, and promise in, in, in prosperity for the new year for, for our listeners? Well, I hope whatever happens in your life, you can, um, make the best of it. And, and you, I mean, you recovered from a toxic relationship. We, I mean, we both did, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and now we are married and happy and, uh, uh, onward and upward and ready to start this, uh, this new year and this new decade is uh, with being parents into stereo. <laughs> in stereo? Yeah, you got times two, you see? Cubed. Yeah. Cubed parents. Uh, <laughs> well, again, I love you and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, my love. And Happy New Year to your listeners. I'm sure that they appreciate that. <laughs> And there you have it. So once again, I want to thank all of our listeners for subscribing. What a crazy freaking decade. I went from ages 36 to 45. Uh, and God, I felt like my life just started. It's like, God, oh, what took so darn long, right? Uh, man. So uh, yeah, I have so much of my life to be thankful for. And I hope that you do as well. Uh, and work on those goals. Let's get this year started off right. Let's kick ass. And when we do this again at the end of this year and at the end of this decade, let's let's think about all the great times that we had and all the things that we accomplished and all the things on our you know goal list that we were able to check off. And uh, and again, I'm so grateful to all our listeners uh, for supporting the show. And uh, hey, we'll see you in the new year. <laughs>